State of Play brings tons of PlayStation news. BioWare, Anthem dies twice. Well, with help if I hit the button to move over to the exact screen. For some reason, my brain was like, oh, it's automated. So, uh, hello. <laughs> I wonder if they heard me do that sound. <laughs> Welcome. I said, eh. Welcome to Triangle Squared, a PlayStation podcast. I'm your host, Brett Beck, and alongside me, as always, your other host, Senior Saul Bridges, bringing you all lucky episode 202. 202. It's so weird being in the 200s. We were sitting over here before recording discussing what episode we were on. I said 190-something. I'm, I'm stuck in like 198. Yeah. Just like, well, we'll never make 200. I'll die or something. <laughs> Maybe this is the afterlife. This is the afterlife of the Triangle Squared podcast. Yes. And that's why Andrew's here every week now. Yes. He's the He started with two hundred. He was like the Grim we- Reaper. Weeper. Grim Weeper. <laughs> the Grim Weeper. That's the uh that's the oo oo version <laughs> of the, the Grim Weeper. <laughs> uh anyway. Stick around if you want to, uh, if this is your first time finding us or, or seeing us or listening wherever. Uh, stick around to see more of where you can find us and be part of the community stake section, which I messed up on this week, but we've already got answers on. So thank you, listeners, for being so on quick and responsive uh, whenever I was not re- on the ball, as Saul wants to put it. Um, but <clears throat> I never said that. You didn't. I just implied it. <laughs> yes. You but I didn't mean it. to imply that. We all, hey, we all mess up. It's the implication, so It's the implication. Yeah, it's the implication. Anyway, welcome, as we said. Uh, we're going to get into some stuff here. Clearly, this new, the week started off with a big uh, hit of news from Sony and some other stuff, but we're going to get into that later after we get through the community's take section and our time-honored opening tradition, which is very simple, and I think Saul may have the most answers he's ever had for this section. Yeah. Saul, what have you been playing this week? Roguelite City. I have been on a roguelike binge all week long, and it started with um, Rogue Heroes, Ruins of Tassos coming out on the Switch, and I put about 10 hours into that, and I'm really enjoying it. It may be a tad too repetitive um, in some aspects of the game. They intentionally made the first dungeon really, really hard, and they wanted you to do a majority of your early game grinding there, so... I decided to take a break from that and continue my run on Hades. So that's another one that I've been playing, obviously. I'm, I'm really enjoying it now that I'm not playing it on PC. And I re-downloaded Dead Cells and Enter the Gungeon. And th- I just did that today. And I played a little bit of Dead Cells and a little bit of Enter the Gungeon this morning as I was watching movies. And I plan on playing a little bit more of those probably later on today with these thunderstorms we're getting. We're, we're supposed to get some really bad weather here next couple of hours. But um, I did try something out new. And I bought... It's on sale for seven fifty, And I bought Moonlighter. And that oh. game that game is really interesting. Uh, I went from thinking I was going to really like it. And I only played probably 30 to 45 minutes because it was free on um, Game Pass. Yeah. I was on my Xbox, and I don't know if it's because of being less comfortable with the controller, if it's just that since I'm not normally on my Xbox and I was viewing at that point in time, like coming at it from the mindset of just look for anything to play Mm -hmm. to justify having it or what, but it didn't stick with me, partially because I feel like it's... For that day, at least, and for my mindset, I felt like the barrier of entry to getting into it was harder than I anticipated. 
it, the first area was it felt like it was more of a chore to get through in a way that wasn't like I guess part of it is knowing what the game is because I guess Bloodborne being really difficult and in the essential Yarnum part that you start off in Mm -hmm. that most people spend a considerable amount of time in as you become used to the game's mechanics. If you go into Bloodborne knowing as I did that Bloodborne is supposed to be a game that's like, hey, we're going to challenge you with our mechanics, but once you get them down, you can move forward. Maybe it's that I didn't expect that of this game, so it was a little more challenging, but... I think things like it felt clumsy to dodge roll over like holes and stuff. The game the clumsy is a perfect word for that game because that game feels clumsy and clunky. There's something weird about coming away from Rogue Heroes um to enter the gungeon to all these top down roguelites to be able to diagonally attack and you cannot do that in Moonlighter. It yeah. is it is left, right, up, down. But not only that, it's really odd. Like the, some of the enemies in that game, there's like this knight enemy that uses his sword, and he and it's on such a rhythm and a time that when it goes down, you don't have enough time to back up and get back in because it's timed exactly to hit you again. So it's it's not even like a hard mechanic. It's just a very unusual like, okay, I can block this, but then if I block it, I get knocked back. So like I have to circle around him, but I have to circle around him and hit him from left, right, up, down. I can't hit him diagonally as I circle. It, and it's just odd. I will say the shop mechanics of that game are actually pretty fun. But Which is a big part of the game from what I remember. It, it is. It is a, advertising. It, yes. And that's, that's the problem I have with this game. So I decided to look into it more so uh, to figure out, like, there's a glitch. Or I don't know if this is a glitch or not, but the game has a problem that... I don't like tying stuff to attacking with A on the switch for roguelites. That feels weird. I would rather attack with Y or B. That that to me is like that is the perfect way. And A to use items or doors or something. Sure. Well, you use items and doors with A on top of attacking. But if you change attack to B, A no longer works to talk to people. But B doesn't either. And but what's weird is the combat controls are separate from interaction controls. So, so I, context sensitivity? I don't know. Like it's it's weird. So like I'm stuck with it being stuck to A, and that's a problem that, that game just has. It has it on Xbox. It has it on every console it's on. But then I started to kind of figure out shop prices and stuff, and I was like, okay, let me just do a deep dive on like the wiki or whatever to look at shop prices. What it, what I thought would have a lot of depth in like you could sell this item for these ten prices if you want, and this is the best one. It kind of just boils it down to like no. There's a set item price that you could sell at, and that's what you just need to sell it at. And once you figure out all the item prices, because items are so limited in nature in that game, you're just you you've you've beaten the merchant aspect of it. You just go and you put the item down for that price, and somebody will 100% come buy it. And it's it's like the game in the tutorial makes it sound like there's a market kind of thing of like you gotta not oversell this one, and then you gotta keep your profits close on this one. But it doesn't feel like that's actually a thing in the game. Yeah, I would have thought from the way that it was advertised and a little bit talked about, not like, but early preview days, because haven't spent much time looking at it after that. Um, <clears throat> it made me think that the game wanted to kind of build in this idea of like, oh, well, there's a market. So if you get, you said like items are already too rare, but at least the way I picked it up, and maybe it was just my imagination running, is I thought that they wanted to have like a little bit of a supply-demand aspect, where if you get the same item too often, it starts to lose and that's kind its of, value. That's kind of in the game. Like, the, At least the tutorial says like there is like supply versus demand, and like you have to sell it at the right price, and you can't oversaturate the market. But it 
from what I've read, it, that's not really a thing. Like if you get like a golem core and you figure out its price is 250 gold, you could put four golem cores on the table or even 400 golem cores on the table just by stacking them up uh, in stacks of 10, which doesn't equal 400, it equals 40, I know, but still. Um, and you can sell them for 250 a piece. Somebody's going to come in there and buy that entire stack and then somebody else will come in there and buy the entire stack. It, 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 doesn't, it doesn't seem to matter. But the other thing about the game that it kind of adds on to the clunkiness of it, and this is why I'm glad I got it on sale because I don't think I'll plan on playing it again, but it feels like that is the that is the the reason to go to dungeons is to sell. But if selling is that shallow, it doesn't feel <laughs> like it's going to be worth it. Like it doesn't like <laughs> normally with roguelites, the whole point of like going through a dungeon and dying over and over again is like, okay, I unlock this weapon this time or this perk this time, or, you know, Hades does a really good job of that. Of like, you get far enough, you get this stuff called nectar. Well, you get, um, and you could get nectar. It's well, it's random. So you could get nectar on the first floor, the third floor, whatever it may be. But then when you come in contact with another God, you give him nectar and he's like, Oh, thank you for giving me nectar. Here's this new item that you can equip. And yeah, but it goes into the roguelite aspect of what we were talking about last time where <clears throat> it's about roguelites being sequentially building your character up over time so that you get to the point where once you've, uh, I guess it's the, you feel like the hours that you've invested into it start to pay back some form of dividends. Because yeah. it's also true of games like Dead Cells where it's like, oh, you can put your stuff into this and that means once you die, now you have a better pool of starting items and you can tell it to do this or this or this and you yeah. can guarantee that you have one of these items here. And that way, you still have the rogue-like or rogue elements of it to where you don't have control on every aspect and that there is a lot of randomness to that playthrough. But there's no permadeath. Yeah, but there – well, yeah, there's no permadeath and that you always have some kind of small level of over time you're going to be able to build up the most ideal starting conditions that you can get while still maintaining this level of randomness that adds to the challenge in a fun way. But, you know, one of the things about – um Dead Cells, what we were talking about, I think that might kind of makes it different, is I don't know how many games do this, and I've me, I meant to look back and kind of find out, but the creators for Dead Cells, and I can't remember the name of the studio right now, but they were talking about how Dead Cells felt significantly worse to everyone they playtested to whenever the game was set up to actually 100% follow, oh, this is the edge of the map, this is the, or this is the edge of this cliff, this is the edge of this cliff. When you jump, if you don't quite make it, you're going to fall through. Mm-hmm. And they're like, you know, enough people would oftentimes feel like they should have made a land, like made a jump, but they barely missed it and then they fell through anyway. So they made this thing where they gave a little bit of a pass through to where it's like, even if you hit jump after you're, one foot is off of the cliff. It's still going to count as a jump, even though you should fall through. And even though you may be right at the edge of that cliff, if you're close enough, it's just going to go ahead and pull you up. And they talked about how that adds to the feeling of smoothness. And when you have a game that's that quick paced and you're so focused on combat, it's nice to not have to feel like with this combat, I also need to hyper focus on super precision platforming. And Platforming is becoming more and more of a thing in, in roguelikes. I mean, it's always been around in roguelikes, but I feel like certain games are trying to add this aspect in, and that's fun because it adds verticality in, in games that are definitely side-scroller, not top-down. But Well, even in top-down games like Enter the Gundam, you have to roll around like spike that's true. rollers and pits and stuff like that. Yeah, and, and even uh, Wizard of Legend, yeah. there's a lot of like, oh, you got to try and dodge roll across this gap. And uh, those things come into play, and they're fun. But if you make them too tight like you would for a game like Celeste or something like that or Super Meat Boy, it's 
It's a non-point. You don't really want that when you're also worrying about combat or these other elements. So because well, in that sense too, it almost feels like there's not a need to exactly because it's that much more easier to do. It's like it's weird. It's I am a fan of roguelites whenever they are very rewarding and those that make it far and then still die because that's what should happen. You know, yeah. no matter what, your your progress should be permanent and. That could be gear, loadouts, anything you may want to do. And I've been on a real big binge lately, so for those that play uh, on the Switch and they have a roguelite to recommend me, let me know. Um, Sundered. Is that a roguelite? Basically. There's actually store progression. I thought that was more of a Metroidvania. Kind of, but it's got it's roguelite elements. So it's almost like Hollow Knight then, because Hollow Knight has some very loose roguelite elements. Kind of. Like I told you, it's, you know, you're talking about your progression system, right? Well, yeah. One of the ways that Sundered works is that you have rooms that exist in, like, they always exist in the same spot within the setup. But how you get there in between changes every time, and some of the gear that you get between it. So, I'm not going to say it's specifically a roguelite, but at the same time, you die, and when you die, you have to make your way back through, unless you've hit a checkpoint. So a good way to kind of talk about it is it's almost like you're taking certain ideas of Metroidvanias and certain ideas of roguelites and putting them together with procedurally generated maps. See, I'm also a sucker for art styles. So like Dead Cells, Hades, Sundered, um, Rogue Heroes, all of these have great art styles. Um, There's one last game that I downloaded this morning that I haven't played uh, and I just bought it and it's called Into the Breach. And I don't know if you've ever heard of it, but it is a mecha-based tactical grid system game. So it's like, it's very, I, I don't know how to understand it. It's it's made by Subset Games, and it's like, you go through, you customize mechs, and then you, you battle aliens on these grid systems. It's like Advanced Wars, but with mechs in a way. Sure, yeah. And this looks really fun to me, too. Um, is that on PC, or are you playing on Switch? I am playing on Switch. Um, cool. it's, it was on sale for fourteen ninety nine, or I think that actually just might be the base price for it. Um, it is just the base price for it. Um, but what have you been playing this week? I've also played a lot, but not quite as much as you, I don't think. <laughs> um, I did. We talked last week about the Sinking City coming to PS5 and being upgraded, and Part of me liked the idea of the developer kind of coming back and undercutting the price of their other publisher. And I wanted to reward that to a degree while also me being interested in the game. I thought, okay, let's go look. It was on sale for $32. So I went ahead and bought it kind of as a worst case scenario. I'm supporting developers who are just trying to do somewhat right the best they can by their user base. Mm -hmm. And it's an interesting game. I don't. I'm not far enough into it to say whether I really love or hate it. I do enjoy it, and I have one thing going on where I'm playing Spirit Fair still, still, but I'm trying not to play it constantly so I can give time for Chris to catch up and so I'm not beating it and then not touching it for a long time until we eventually do the spoiler chats. So my idea here is to try and play every few days so that I stay in the rhythm of playing the game and not missing out on the mechanics but also I don't just leave the game behind for two, three weeks and then don't feel like coming back to it because my mood has changed. Right. So I have that going and I bought the sinking city. I played probably a good six or so hours of that game. Uh, it's interesting. I really enjoyed call of Cthulhu, but even with what I enjoyed at call of Cthulhu, like Saul and I were talking about, it's not really super into the Lovecraftian side of the things that you'd think it would be. 
And the think, the sinking city is different. It's a full open world, which I don't necessarily know was needed, but <clears throat> it's what it is. And there's side quests and different stuff going on. You have parts of the city that are sunken, so you have to tra- traverse them in a boat, as well as some other things. You do get to meet long-running Lovecraftian things like the Innsmouthers and the Throgmortons that have these fish and ape-like uh, appearances, you know, respectively. And as someone who likes, you know, the Lovecraftian style stuff, if you know anything about them, the Singing City is pretty interesting for that, <clears throat> while also being super detective heavy. And I've never played the Sherlock Holmes games, but that's who makes this game. And originally was supposed to be the developer for Call of Cthulhu before Focus ended up pulling them off because the game was going to take longer than they wanted. Um, with all that in mind, though, I really like the aspect of being able to kind of come in. I turn the difficulty up to detective so it doesn't give me hints as to what to do next. And therefore, you got to walk around, talk to people, pick up on clues. And the only thing, the only real thing it tells you, and you can go up a higher difficulty on the map, you can see if you've gotten all of the evidence in an area, just the necessary evidence in an area for you to be able to progress. But sometimes you can progress with more of an idea of what's going on. And. So that's where I'm at right now. I'm enjoying that aspect of it, going into your mind palace and the menu and linking clues together so that you can come up with deductions as to what you want to do next. Um, it's not completely gripped me, but with that, I also ended up buying FIFA 21 because it was $20, and I buy them every three or four years so that the occasional random time I can play. I also play the Vita version occasionally because it's very fun, and mainly because my boy Andrew, he's sitting over here, off the sideline um, so he can get some of that uh, some of that nice nice strong shit as opposed I know this is normally a PG podcast but the long running friend group thing here is that whoever's not good at a game is uh, weak shit so Andrew's going to be bringing that weak shit on FIFA 21 and also for me it was a PS5 version right and one of the cool things about the next gen consoles is that the sports games have done a really strong job of actually showing off some of the things that these consoles can do so FIFA 21 on characters that are really big characters like Lionel Messi and stuff like that you have um hair straight up hair uh tech you know what can I think of a strand tech and you can see their hair bounce around and like legit move around with collision to their bodies and whatnot. And it looks really good. Their, uh, their subsurface scattering on their skin looks really good. So it's just an idea of like, what can you do at a native 4k output on these systems and 60 frames per second? Mm-hmm. It's pretty cool. I really enjoy that aspect of it. Um, and it's really fun. So I've had a couple games for 20 bucks. Yeah. When I first told Saul that I was met with a, why why would you spend $60 yeah. on FIFA? Not to say that you can't, yeah, but not, he knows that I don't normally, so it seemed out of the bounds that's, for him. That's what, that's what screwed me over. I was like, why, why, what? Yeah, what crawled up your butt to make you want to randomly spend $60 on FIFA? The last time I've spent $60 on FIFA was FIFA 14. I've not bought a brand new one since then. I'm normally a couple years back whenever I finally decide to buy them. But... Hmm. Outside of that, I have also started getting back into Godfall. Got my Bloodborne Platinum. I think that I had already had that last time. No, I think we did that on Monday. You might be right, yeah. Saul did come in and help me. I got the Bloodborne Platinum, finally. I guess I played Bloodborne this week. Oh, and I played No Man's Sky. That's right, because (laughs) we were still playing in the chat. I was was like, no, this game's still not for me. (laughs) Kudos on on Hello Games, though, because you can't deny that they've done great work. I just hate micromanagement. 
stuff. Yeah, Saul was talking to me while it was going on. He was just like, why am I stuck on this planet? I can't even do anything. Well, no, I, I, okay, so I didn't know in survival mode, they start you out on a planet that like immediately something is draining. Like your health is draining, your radiation's draining, your your temperature stuff is draining, and I'm just like, I, I can't even complete the tutorial. Like, I'm dying. And then I started up on normal mode. Then normal mode, I was just like, yeah, this is just... Oh, this ran out, so I got to replenish this, and then the thing to replenish that ran out, so I got to replenish that, and then it's a circle. It's a big old circle of that, and I'm sure the further you get in the game, you don't have to worry about that. But I'm not. It's lesser, but that game definitely has some of those old school RPG things where it's like, um, oh, I helped you do this, so you before I can or before I'll help you do this, you've got to help me do this. But it's it's just in the sub settings. Yeah, it's like all of your. <clears throat> all of your suit is a fetch quest yes yes and it's like hey it's before the, the, you do this that rotating you... fetch quest yes yeah and i know that eventually you can upgrade it and you don't have to worry about all that but i need somebody to play with me or something so it's more fun to get to that point to where i'll have fun you know how you talked about destiny i feel like destiny 2 to you being this social thing where it's like the game is really at its most fun when it's a social thing yeah that's probably what you need out of no man's sky because i could see that being the case it's kind of what I think makes Diablo so fun. The game is rewarding and fun, but it's mainly fun to me whenever I have someone to play with. And on top of doing all this min-maxing of your build, you're also shooting the crap with your friends. You know I, what I mean? I beat Diablo 3 by myself. I didn't play with anybody. Yeah, but I'm talking about the hundreds upon hundreds of hours to get, excuse me, like the platinum or do seasonal content to, to play it like you would a game like destiny where you come back and play it for hours upon hours on, you know, every month or two or whatever season, if you want to only come back every season. Yeah. I wonder if that'll be the same for like Diablo four. Cause you know how they do seasons in Diablo now. Well, Diablo four is also supposed to be open world. So you'll occasionally run into other characters like other players hmm. in the open world, but they don't want it to be a super common thing. I don't know how that's going to work, but yeah, that'd be we will certainly see. Uh, but, I also played Godfall finally, got back around to it because previously I had played Godfall for the opening mission during launch of the PlayStation 5. I didn't intend to play it right there because I wanted to play Demon Souls and some other stuff more, so I did that. And coming back to it, I'm actually really impressed by what the game is. Now, I want to say that because of the fact that I think Godfall has gotten a really bad rep for it. And I think there's reasons for that, primarily that Sony over-marketed slash over-hyped it because they wanted it to be one of their big things. It's not quite that, but I think, did I just see Johnny Depp on Amber Heard's Deep face? Fake, yeah, because Amber Heard got fired from Aquaman too. Yeah. So they're like, who could be their placement? And it looks, Ooh. I would watch that. Johnny, I would too. Johnny, Johnny Depp could pull that off. Primarily because seeing Jason Momoa and Johnny Depp side by side talking to each other. People are calling for <laughs> Emily Clark, and I'm like, you know what? Well, that's because it's been uh, it's been reported that it might be her. And they did a they did, they were a good duo on Game of Thrones. But anyways, continue yep. on with uh, <laughs> sorry video game stuff. Uh, yeah, but Godfall got a big kind of a bad rap, I think, for being a little too heavily leaned on. I think if it would have been sixty instead of seventy, it would have been fifty instead of either or. I agree with that too, but I think that there's more reason to look at it a third party exclusive and say, well, as a third party release, this probably would have been sixty. The game looks really good it runs really well 60 frames per second when you play on that mode i mean yeah the game looks even better on graphics mode but it looks it just like demon souls it looks more than good enough 
for what you'd want it to do while also being 60 frames per second. And it's one of those things where like the trade-off ends up working out to where for it to run at 60 frames per second, yeah, it drops the resolution a little bit, but the smoothness you get back in that 60 frames per second kind of makes up for the difference. And um, when you're looking at those, yeah, it's set up in a way where you have this area and you go out and you have this inner kind of sanctum. It's called the seventh sanctum. It's like this inner area where you can choose and change which of the, I'm going to call them warframes. They're called valor plates, but the essentially which armor you want to wear and the armor you want to wear, your consciousness kind of just goes into and the seventh sanctum is with you and being powered. Each one has different uh, abilities, different things that they're actually good at, so different proficiencies, kind of like warframe and mortal shell together. But with way more, because there's like 12 of these Valor plates. Do you customize your character in um, Godfall? No, what do you mean by that? Like, do you have like a like a human or like an android or somebody or no. anything? Okay, so you don't even see what your character you're looks like. You're always the Valor plate. You're always a Valor plate. Yeah, you're always just whatever class is. Okay. Yes. Now, within that, you can change. You don't see them, but you change gear-wise what ring you have. Like, you have two ring slots, an amulet slot, a charm slot, a banner slot, because you can put down banners in the middle of battle that have different effects. You have a, uh, a, a heel stone or something like that where you can change to where whenever you actually hit square and crush a healing stone that it has a stronger effect uh, or it has different effects too, like the ability to give you momentary fire damage and stuff like that. All of that comes in. You can have two primary weapons and you switch between them with triangle and you can switch between them mid-combat. So you can start a combo with one thing and then hit triangle and change to something else and you have combo effects that happen as a result. Um, the game is not as much... I, I guess there is Diablo-like elements to it. That's definitely there. But I think that this is a game of... it Because of its flashy looks as well, People expected way more out of it because, rightfully so, they tried making you expect more out of it. The game's really good. Now that I'm removed from the fact that I spent $70 on it, I almost forgot I did before I started thinking about how I'm going to talk about it on this episode. And it kind of got me. Like, oh, this is not a terrible game. At 40 through 60, 40, this is a, a really solid game, like a really good game. At 60, this is a solid game. At 70, I do think it was high, slightly overpriced, but... I think it's got cool art design. It's got really cool uh, difference in areas that you go through. So you have one realm, and then you move into the water realm, and you keep going as you fight these different bosses. The boss fights are kind of... I don't want to say this entirely, because I, I know that someone's going to try and give me flack for this, but the way I described it to Chris last night is, while it's not quite there, it makes me think of Bloodborne, since I've just come off of Bloodborne, in the sense that the way that dodging works in this game is more like a backstep and a sidestep. So it reminds me of how you go about dodging and the fact that you want to try and strafe around enemies and you want to learn their their movement patterns. The the bosses, as you can see, have got sections to their health so you can see what their phases are and they change what they do within different phases. And you have to change up and prepare for that. And the shield and the way that you throw it kind of reminds me of the way that you use the pistols and firearms in Bloodborne in that you use them to parry, but a parry in this game is more like opening you for a chance to stagger like you would when you did a stagger shot in with on Bloodborne. So with all that stuff together and all these different ways you can build up your shield throwing abilities, you can either throw your shield... You can jump and slam your shield into the ground to cause uh, soul shatter. Soul shatter is also a cool mechanic in this in where you can light attack enemies over and over and over again, and you'll start to see a white their health bar get taken over by a white section. When that white section grows to where it's at the end of their health bar and it takes up their entire health bar, if you heavy attack them, 
it'll deal all that white bar and damage immediately and you can kill an enemy and hmm. when you do it you have a higher chance of getting health orbs back as well so again game solid and i really enjoy it i do think it was overpriced i do think it was overhyped i don't think that sony should have leaned as heavily into it as they did i don't think they should have shown it as early as they did i think this should have been a game that was announced three months before the system came out as a console exclusive and then don't over talk into it and then let people just play it and be like oh this is cool other thing is the game require this is annoyance the game requires you to be online but it doesn't match make for you if you want to do co-op con- uh, content. So there's you have to just go in and try and find other people to play with, even though it forces you to be online. So it's it's not like Destiny, where it forces you to be online, but whenever you go out, you see other players. Okay. Still, I actually think, Saul, and I could be way off, but I think that if you got the game at cheap enough, you might enjoy it. Uh, I'd pay $20 for it. Yeah, and I, I, in my head, I thought, if Saul could get this game for 20 bucks, I think he'd be surprised. Um... So those are my games. <laughs> I, I would rather you still can't delete your character in Warframe and make a new one. Oh, you say you'd rather play Warframe? Infinite like despair on that one. Yeah. The thing about Warframe, even going back into it, is just it's hard to get into. That's the point. Like that's why I would rather just start a new character. I'm only like eight hours in on the current character I have. I don't know what I'm doing. I don't know what all the materials are. I don't want to spend hours upon researching all this crap. And that's what that game kind of demands of its player base. Yeah. I like it and it's fun and I enjoy every time I play it, but to get into super deep parts of what the game wants you to do, it's not as accessible as something like Destiny. Now, because of that, I think it's also in a lot of ways deeper than Destiny, but only if you know how to actually go in and get that depth. Yeah, I was going to say that. That's fine, but I, it's just it's, it's a big annoyance that like I just can't create a new character and, and grab yeah. a new frame and, and just start from the beginning. Yeah, it, it'd be like if you could never start a new character in No Man's Sky because you had already had... Or like Final Fantasy fourteen or like Destiny, it'd be like any of these games. Because yeah, like you eventually all these games are super complicated like mid game through. Or like like after the, after you get done with that game for like the first eight hours of that game, it kinda of becomes complicated when the game opens up. And then you take a five year, six year break from the game, you don't know what you're coming back to. Well, and the game's and the change, game change a ton. every yeah, every three yeah. months to a year. Yeah. But, it's uh, rough. Uh but we have our last minute communities take that I put out there. And I meant to do it Friday. Something came up, and I was in the middle of something. Oh, I know what I was in the middle of doing. I was in the middle of trying to finish editing for Nier Automata before you guys came over. Yeah. And, and so then, I was like, I'll do it in a little bit. And my alarm on my phone kept going off. We were in the middle of playing Rock Band because you wanted to try it I out. I remember your alarm And I turned off it off. Yeah. I meant to hit snooze. I turned it off. Uh, oh, well. But, uh, yeah, uh, we ate some bomb Mexican food. It was delicious. It really was. Uh, the community's take was based off what we were talking about at the end of last episode with the smooth motion feature from consoles, or really rather from TVs, not from consoles. And do you use them for movies, television shows, or for gaming even, potentially? And uh, we got a couple of answers. I, I posted this as soon as we started recording, so thank you guys. Yeah, uh, thank you all. That's, yeah, uh, that's some dedication there. Yeah, Ty, the one true TB, which if I remember correct... That's what's weird about Twitter. You can change your name. Ty's been listening to the show for a long time, if I'm remembering correctly, because I think he goes by True on a lot of his stuff. So if that's the case, hey, man, hope you're doing well. Yeah, I hope you are. He is. He helped us do Destiny Raid whenever Chris tried to get in and then never wanted to do it again. <laughs> Destiny T's Raid. 
But he says, I keep it off. It makes watching movies and TV feel really weird at times. If the PS5 is able to use variable refresh rate in the future, I'll probably turn it on. But for now, it stays off. You know, one thing about variable refresh rate that I think is weird is that most modern TVs don't support variable refresh rate. And I don't necessarily know that smooth motion on TV that doesn't actually support VRR will do any different. I think this is going to be one of those things where VRR gets announced for Sony to be finally available on PS5, but people are not going to realize that their TV does not support this. I think that's also happening now with the fact that PS5 can support 120 frames per second, but a lot of TVs out there do not use um, HDMI 2.1 or whatever the protocol is. That we're, I think it's 2.1. That sounds correct. Yeah, um, more, most more budget-friendly TVs only have one of those. Or they have literally none of them. It depends on when you bought your TV. Within the last two years, you're probably going to have at least a single 2.1. I mean, that's even going back further than that. Do you remember this monitor over here? Because I've had it for years now. Um, it does not support 4K 120 because it don't it doesn't have hdmi 2.1 well, and this is a monitor it does you would just have to use a display port right yes it, it, the hdmi doesn't support right. it but the display port does okay and that's what i mean and that's computer and computers the reason that computer monitors tend to have this support more than tvs is because most of the things that you would hook up to a tv don't need more than 60 hertz right so when tvs come with this thing it's like oh well what are you hooking up to this that needs to tap into something that's more than 30 frames per second or 60 frames per second for games like Call of Duty that have been around for a long time. But now that we're getting to the fact that Destiny 2 will let you turn on 120 frames per second mode and drop the resolution further so that you can have just crazy responsiveness in your multiplayer, a lot of people are finding out their TV just doesn't support that feature. And that's going to happen with VRR as well. Um, it'll be... I'm a little, I mean, a little disappointed my TV doesn't support VRR either. And I'm pretty sure my TV, because I bought it three years ago almost now, um, doesn't support uh, 4K120. I don't think. I haven't looked into it. I haven't had an opportunity where I would unless I was going to do multiplayer on Destiny with it. But No, mine doesn't, but the newer models of the TCLs do. Yeah. And those are like, that's just because like my favorite brand almost because I've had, I've had mine for like a year now, maybe a little bit less. Yeah. Never had an issue out of it. I want to see them do OLED, and I think they've they do. about it. They do OLED. There is one that does it. Maybe it's QLED or something. They do QLED. I, yeah, I get that confused. The one that we bought in the living room is QLED. Yeah, and for the price you pay for these, like the performance is fantastic. You're not going to get amazing audio out of them, but the audio is still pretty good. Mm. Like it's it, it's like it's like standard TV speaker audio in a way. It's not subpar than that to me, but um, it's better than a lot of similarly priced TVs. Yeah, like even I bought that. This TV right here sounds like tin can. Uh, okay, so like you would think that Element 1080p I bought for our bedroom mm -hmm. would be bad. And audio it's actually pretty good i was automatically like i'm not because uh, i thought about that my like, in-ear or not in-ear behind the screen back facing firing speakers and i'm like okay this is not going to be great no it is not bad for like yeah. especially tv like like living room viewing um, yeah. also i have an update for you that was um, interesting go ahead uh warframe has made it so that you can now redo missions for the story in order and it essentially like, you just build a new frame and you go back to step one. It's how you kind of create your new character. Oh, okay. So, I'm downloading it. So, if you want to download it, we can restart I've, I've the entire it. thing together. Okay. Yeah, I've got it. I don't really need to restart, but if I'm what I mean by that is I've, I'm already right. maxed out my thing, so it really doesn't matter. I'll go to another frame. <laughs> but, yeah, that's fine. I like that game, so I will certainly play it. 
and it supports crossplay. So if anybody else wants to play with us on PS4, even if you don't have a PS5, come do it. Also, saw so that means you get to deal with the triggers now. Also, Godfall, I really like the use of the triggers. It feels really good, definitely when you're dealing with melee combat. You think immediately in a shooter, you understand how a gun will do that, but being able to feel feedback through specifically like charged attacks and things like that and how they feel differing and how that combines with the haptic feedback is nice. Godfall is a good show of the dual sense, which want, it should be. I want more games to be like that warframe does yeah that's good <laughs> i was uh, i was surprised to see that no man's sky did it um yeah same over on twitter uh we had our good buddy sean he says if i'm honest i have no idea if it's on or off on my tv my games look great on my tv on the initial setting so i just play that way um depending on how old your tv is it probably auto detected game mode and it probably is not going to have that on there um but also, I will say this: almost every anytime I go to somebody's house and they have smooth motion on, and I'm, I'm like, "Ew, how do you do that?" And they're like, "Oh, I've gotten used to it." So apparently, smooth motion is really easy to get used to. You definitely can get yeah, used to it. I just wouldn't subject myself to that kind of torment. Do you think it's the reverse though? Do you think how like when we're watching normal TV and then we see someone else's, we're like, "Ugh." Do you think that they see that? They're, and then when they like, see a normal TV, they're like, to Ugh. them, that's like 60 frames per second, and watching a normal TV is like 30. Yeah, it's like you pleb. <laughs> I would hope not, because that's like. Soap opera effect is not something to be. Yeah. Sean's one of our patrons. Thanks, buddy. We appreciate you. Liam uh, Liam also threw in, no, I use Sweet Emotion. I assume he's referencing that old classic rock song? I guess so. You know what song I, I'm talking about, right? Yeah. yeah. It's not a good song. I don't like classic rock. I think that's it, right? I don't or, hate the or, song. Or, or we, we got a couple Facebook? over on Facebook. Yeah. Uh, because your Saul boy doesn't, doesn't have, have a Facebook. One. We'll bring that up again at the end of the show. Where, you, where we tell you guys where you can find us. Yeah. Blake Pope's one of our patrons and co host on our weekly movie podcast that we do midweek matinee. Uh, he says, I've tried it a few times, but I don't notice any major changes, so I just keep it off. Maybe I never kept it in long enough to notice or get used to it. I wonder if you had it on mild, because like I said, most modern TVs allow you to determine how badly it's, or I shouldn't say badly, how aggressively it's doing <laughs> no, it. No, badly is, is the correct word. But the I feel like once you turn it on, definitely if you turn it on full strength, you notice it. When it's on mild, like I said, my TV was at one point on, you don't really notice it, and it does help. Saul hates screen tearing, and I understand that. Oh, most yeah. most modern games that screen tear do so in the top third of the TV, or screen rather, so that you just you don't notice it as much because your eyes normally drawn to more of the center, which is smart. If you're going to have a tear somewhere, do it away from the player's notable area. I think screen tearing becomes really obvious when it's horizontal in the middle of the screen, and you're just like, oh, there it is. But I do wonder, and I think to a degree, smooth motion must help that. No, I don't think it does because when you think about it, not that I could say I have experience with that, but motion blur doesn't help screen tearing. Actually, as a matter of fact, motion blur makes it worse because it is it, you could tell instead of it being a static clean image as you're turning tearing, you you see the tear exactly. Motion blur motionifies it, it blurifies it, and it motionifies it, it. Yeah, it puts a Gaussian <laughs> blur on it, and it looks terrible because. <clears throat> Back when I started playing Destiny 2 on PC, I was like, let me see how weird I can make this game look. And I was like, so I put it at 30, and 
I turned motion blur on and I was like, okay, this looks like, I was like, this doesn't even look something about 30 motion blur on PC is different than 30 motion blur on console. It doesn't look as smooth as it does on console, which has to be by design. I'm guessing maybe, or maybe it's because you have a higher field of view that things look different. I had it on the normal field of view. Okay. I, I wanted to see if I could replicate the console experience on PC, but so then I unlocked my frame rate and I kept motion blur on and of course, I only have like a 60 or a 75 hertz monitor, but it was like running at like 180 and it was tearing with motion blur on and it was so much more noticeable than tearing yeah. without it. Because I think... You well, you're going to get tearing way more when you have fluctuating frame rates too. Right. Well, it was going... Well, not only that, but it was going from 140 to 120 and my my monitor is only 60. Yeah. So it's like it can't even run that um, and that high up frames. So it's just, it's this weird thing like... I'm not sure if that's, I don't know. I'm not sure what the solution for screen tearing is. That's not using a monitor. VLR. That, <laughs> that, that V-Sync. Yeah. Well, v, v, V-Sync is just essentially variable refresh rate. Um, just a different, it's, it's their specific to there's it, G-Sync, FreeSync. There's yeah, all those V-Sync things. is like, for what people V-Sync know, locks it. V-Sync, if I'm not mistaken. Yeah, well, V-Sync locks it to whatever refresh, refresh rate of the device you're using. So if you have a 60 hertz mm-hmm. monitor, it's going to lock it to 60. If you have 120, it's going to lock it to 120. And I think what G-Sync does is basically variable refresh rate that goes and tries to go through. Let's see. Uh, primarily eliminating screen tearing and the need for software alternatives such as V-Sync. Yeah. So like what yeah, that does is adaptive sync tech. So if it's adaptive sync, I think the whole point of that is that it can come in and say, oh, okay, the game is dropping down to 59. So we're going to drop down to 59 hertz right that's kind of what it is so it can help eliminate screen tearing um because if you stay at the exact as what your thing as what the game is doing then you eliminate that because screen tearing happens because of the sudden drop and the disparity between the two well well it really happens because of the um the fluctuation between the frames that you are currently running and versus the refresh rate of the monitor well it's what what i mean yeah okay what what the between what the monitor has what it's supposed to be doing yeah and then what the game is actually pushing out see what i'm actually curious about is the reason the forest screen tears if you have performance mode on is it's it's trying to run at like 120 frames or 140 frames and you only have like a 60 hertz tv yeah and it's it's overcome yeah it's way overblown and i can't get used to that kind of stuff like i just to me like any kind of visual hiccups in a game is just well and it screens it screen tears across the entire screen even even if it was up top i wouldn't if it only happened up at the ni- the top ninety percent of the screen, I would still pay attention to it. I don't know what it is. <laughs> I don't know either. Uh, also, your thing on motion blur. I know that you hate it, but it still goes back to that long running thing of it depends on if the game uses general motion blur, which is basically just trying to put like a Gaussian blur across everything that's beyond a certain focal length. But my thing that Demon Souls has that I really love is per object motion blur where it only motion it motion blurs per object per based off of how close or how far it is and how much motion it's getting so that you get less motion blur from something that's just doing this to something that's doing a big long sweep where you'd see more of a trail after it. If there's an option to turn it off, I turn it off. I know you do. Because I'm telling you right now. You should turn it on. Just if you ever are sitting there bored oh, I did it and looking we, at stuff, you should do it on Demon Souls. Yeah, I did yeah. it when we were in there. Yeah. Um, but because I think it looks you now, you may not still like it and want to turn it off. But I think between the two, it looks considerably better. That game at 4K than, 60 in performance mode is just like the the bee's knees in terms of what hardware that that PS5 can do. It's 
what that Bloodborne. Well, game Bloodborne is- just needs a patch to unlock the frame rate. It doesn't even matter at the frame time. Well, it depends because like well, that might run into the force issue, like where it unlocks it, and you're running 150 frames, and you're getting well, screen but the, the, yeah, that's true. But really, what it is, just do it to where you remove the frame cap, but you put a frame cap of 60 on. Well, see, I that's think, what most games... I think the console forces on PS5 certain games, unless you coded it in another way, to go ahead and cap it at 60. Maybe. Not sure. Because, I mean, otherwise, these other games that are just un... Like The Last Guardian, the disc-based version. What's going on? Oh, um, I just thought I saw the name card thing have audio. I was so thrown off by that. No, you're good. Okay. <laughs> but... The Last Guardian's disc-based version that launched with an unlocked frame rate, it'll run at a solid 60. It's unlocked. The game doesn't say that to have a lock at all, but the system locks it at 60, and there's not a ton of screen tearing in it. So something internally is happening on PS5 to stop these games from doing it. I didn't look at performance mode on PS5 for the forest. I wonder if it's better. I wonder if the reason it screen tears on PS4 Pro is because it's trying to get to as close to 60 as it can, but it just won't. Maybe so. Yeah, like I could see that. It's some kind of software limitation. Yeah, but then again, performance mode only works on the forest and single player. You can only run that yeah. 60. Apparently, on PS5, you're supposed to be able to run the forest at 60 frames per second if you're in single player. Multiplayer automatically locks the game to 30, which is unfortunate. We've got a couple more here. Josh Shoop, and I'm a little curious as to what you mean by this, Josh. So when you hear this, shoot a message to your boy. He says, now that I have a PS5, Yes. Is there a reason that the PS5 makes you want to turn it on versus the PS4? Yeah. Or do you think smooth motion what I and this is more of a curiosity, do people think smooth motion is supposed to be VRR? I I wonder when you're dealing with things that have been around for a long time but it's supposed to, it's finally starting to hit living room consumer tech. What do these things mean to different people? And I think the other thing is that smooth motion is not what it's called by almost anyone. So if you look, almost every TV calls it something different. Yeah, it does. Which is annoying. It, and it's stupid. Because every, well, I mean, it's that way with like, it's getting that way with QLED and OLED now. Like where there's quantum dot and QLED and OLED and there's just all these memes. QLED is just quantum dot LED. It's they rebranded it. I know, I know. It's yeah. just, there's so many household variations of names that are ridiculous to keep up with. The only reason that they rebranded the QLED is because they wanted to compete with OLED. Oh, I know that it's just dumb. That's a giveaway thing. Oh, it's my, it's the collector's edition. Actually, it's not. No, it's, it's my thing I have right back here. Yeah. It's just, cause I don't think yours came with the earpieces, which is pretty cool. I don't think it did either. Watch those be like wireless earbuds. That'd be pretty dope. That would be cool. What are they called? The Focus? Isn't that what the in Horizon Zero Dawn, the earpiece yeah. is called? The Focus? I think so. That sounds correct, yeah. Lastly, we got Cody McGinnis, my longtime friend. He says, I've noticed a nice improvement when I use mine mainly on TV or movies, though all... Uh, although my TV is a newer model Samsung, the motion smoothing on my brother's Sharp TV is way better, and it's a much older model. It depends on the Sharp. Sharp used to be really high-quality TVs, and they've since scaled down to be a mid-range to low-range TV. But along, like it, maybe even as much as six years ago, Sharp had this series called the Aquas, which were multi-thousand-dollar TVs. Ugh. And they look phenomenal. My dad bought one, and he left it in the trailer house, uh, or house, I don't know what it was, that he was in at the time because the people who bought it uh, just kind of gave him extra money for it, and he didn't have enough room for it where he was going because it was a big TV. It was like a 70-inch. And gosh. that TV still looks good. 
they they lived directly beside my grandpa's and we'd go to visit them. You go in the house sometimes when they're watching TV, you'd almost sometimes think, is this running at like 1440p or 4k? Cause it looks really good. And, um, they always kept smooth motion on, which of course I don't like the way that it looks, but I do notice that there is a disparity between how certain TV brands approach it. But that also depends on your screen. Cause I told you some TVs and that might be the case here. That TV might might have a native 120 hertz model uh, mon, um, panel. Panel, thank you. And I think what happens is when you introduce smooth motion motion to get to 240 on a 120 hertz panel, it's only having to do single frame insertion whenever it does that frame interpolation. But what happens on a 60 hertz panel when you're telling it that you can go to 240 is it's having to do that to like double. You know what I mean? Yeah. So uh, I think that that's what affects what it actually looks like. It depends on what your TV's panel is natively. Or if it comes locked at that. So, like, some TVs come locked in smooth motion. You can't turn it off. Is that a thing? Um, back when TCL first came out, their Series 1 4K TVs were locked. Ooh. Then again, their Series 1 4K TVs were, like, 32-inch, which is ridiculous for a TV size because it's normally a monitor. Why would you buy a 4K 32-inch? Or as a 199 it was like it was back when 4K was starting to come in the market, and TCL was still partnered with, um, not Element. What was that of the company that they were partnered with, or that they're a sister brand of? I don't know. It's another. It's another very like, or I say very. It's a very. It's a, it's a household name. It's not Vizio. It is um, Hisense. Weren't they partnered with Hisense, or was it not Hisense? I, I don't know. Hisense used Samsung panels and have for a long time. Okay, it's not Hisense then, but they were partnered with somebody else, and like they were like becoming a household name. So like their first 4K like TV to come out was locked at uh, motion blur on everything and or smooth motion, smooth motion on everything. Yeah, and it was not like a um, Roku TV at all. It was just a TV. It wasn't until Series Two, I think, that they became smart TVs. That's odd. TCL have really moved themselves up in the TV brand, though. I gotta tell you, that TV we got in there for like three ninety nine. Oh yeah, looks really good. That for like the t- and yours, yours was like two sixty or seventy. Two seventy nine for a forty three inch, and yeah. then a two ninety nine or three twenty nine. For the one you have in your living room, fifty inch, yeah. yeah. And they look. I mean, they look good. Like I, I have no complaints about them. Realistically, about. Any time in terms of picture quality. They're sure there's better out there, but I don't really care that much about the better out there. Yeah. Well, I mean, do you care enough to spend the $700 more? That's what it comes down to. Yeah. And to me, it's like, this is perfectly acceptable. Uh, Demon Souls looks like a dream. Yeah. My thing would be, unless... The problem with LED TV specifically is unless you're going with these crazy 2000 up dollar TVs from Samsung QLEDs, you're not getting a competitive to OLED. And even then, it's still not OLED. There's other benefits to it. There yeah. always is. But for me, the price difference, at least because it's not too crazy, you can get an OLED TV from a number of manufacturers now for anywhere from around 1000 to 1200 for a 50-inch. And at that point, the price difference between that and uh, and you know one of the TCLs, I would have paid it if I didn't already have an OLED in here. You know what I mean? Yeah. Like at that point, because of the difference in the technology, it's worth it. But if I was sticking with an LED TV, definitely a QLED. I think the QLED in there for four hundred dollars looks just about as good as any QLED I'm going to get from Samsung for a thousand, twelve hundred, well, unless I go up to that two thousand dollar plus range where they're doing all this crazy tech stuff like changing these in between layer substrates so that it catches more light so that you don't get bleeding it's, and hailing. Yeah, and it's more light per and pixel as well. Yeah, and it, it even though it's not actually per pixel, it almost mimics it. Yeah. And yeah. 
it's one of those things that like for you since you have an OLED in here and a QLED in there, it's like there's a there's a distinct comparison. But for any other consumer in the world, like a, a TCL like that's in there, it's like one of the best bang for your buck TVs you can yeah, buy. Yeah, sure, it really uh, is. But now we're not a TV podcast, so let's. <laughs> we are not a TV podcast, but let's I get find into TV uh, stuff. It's so interesting. You know what else I find interesting? What do you find interesting? Keeping so, my balls clean. I find that and, interesting too. And upkept. So for those that uh, are just now tuning in, if you're a fan of the show and you've watched this for a while, you definitely know. But uh, yeah, this episode of today was brought to you guys by Manscaped. You can check out stuff like the Lawnmower 3.0. Keep yourself nice and trimmed, nice and clean for your ladies, for for your guys. You know, there's no judgment here. And, uh, of course, they're not only easy to use, they're easy to clean up. They're waterproof, so you can just wash it off and clean it, disinfect it, and have you. And, uh, yeah, give it as a gift. Your loved ones will love it for it. And uh, they have a, a... They'll love it for it? They'll, they'll love, love you for, for it. it. Yeah, and they have another... They have bevies of other all kinds of other things, like um, this ball toner and ball deodorant. These are my favorite things they have because i work in an area in which i sweat a lot at work or i just generally i'm I'm exposed to more nature than common people so that keeps me fresh and clean but i've I've gone on about it at past episodes so if you know us you're gonna get tired of hearing it but the refined cologne sensitive skin i'm a baby and (laughs) that stuff there does not break me out does not dry my skin out doesn't make me itch and i love the smell of it so it's one of those that i could do you know, squirt on the front of my neck, back of the neck, and I'm good to go. Whereas another favorite brand of cologne that I have, and I said it last week, I won't say it again, uh, just because, just but um, it, it it just, it, it breaks me out. Like, you could tell when I've worn it because I'll have high, like, almost like hives around my neck. They look like, they're not pimples, but they look kind of like pimples. Yeah, sure. And that doesn't do it at all, and I love it for it. And um, You know, I got to tell you something, too, man. Yeah, let me know. How you do know you what? feel about it? St. Baddie's Day is coming up. You know this? Oh, it is. Yeah, and you know... It's for pubs, not pubes. It is, and you got to have yourself nice and clean for all the lassies out there. Yeah, so or you know what? La- or the wait, la- it's the lasses. lassies. It's lasses. Lasses. What's the men Irish? La- are you going to go after dogs? The lad, right? <laughs> lads. Or lads? Lads or lasses? Yeah, that lads sounds or lasses, Yeah, yeah. You know, so if you want to go to the club, to the bar, experience hang out, some luck of the Irish, and you want to get the luck of the Irish, then you got to go deep in at manscaped.com. Use code SQRD, get 20% off of that shipping, and uh, 20% off of your order and free shipping. Saw you over there airing your balls out? No, I actually, I'm not wearing the Manscaped undies, and I'm riding up a little bit, so I had to get oh, out. And, see, that's why you got to spend more money on those Manscaped undies. To. Actually, i tell you what now, like, th- none of this is scripted at all, and that definitely was not scripted. My underwear <laughs> was legitimately riding up, and I'm like, oh, I did not wear the Manscaped undies today. And that's, that's true. That's for a, a while, for a, about a month, I was wearing them every Sunday by accident. Yeah. Now we're not. Look at that. It is what it is. So, yeah, guys, go and enjoy your St. Paddy's Day by getting you nice, fresh, groomed balls and all the other great stuff they have. But enough of that. Saw, we got some news to talk about. This is a big news week. Did we give them our discount code? Yeah. I okay. Said, hey, we'll do it one more time. SQRD. SQRD. It's going to be like the sixth time you'll hear it by the end of the episode. Yeah. Go to manscaped.com, code SQRD. Now I actually got to stretch and sweat myself out. Off. <laughs> Don't let him lie to you. He's airing, he's airing his balls out because he didn't use his, uh, his ball deodorant. Those are like Manscaped. Those are like rough, coarse cottons. The co- coarse cottons. Coarse cotton. Yeah. There you go. Up your up your game. Your balls will thank you. That's why Saul's over there off camera lying, stretching. You know you know when you're walking and you do like the little leg, leg wiggle to try and get your balls off your legs? Well, first of all. Rough times. If you moisturize yourself properly, you don't have to do that. 
I'm talking about on those crazy hot days when at work you're going down and having to cut that vacuum tube and fight it and argue oh, with no, it. Oh, no, sir. <laughs> Where suddenly life gets a lot harder. It does. Very hard. <laughs> uh, over on the news, the first thing we were talking about is a few weeks back, Jason Schreier of Bloomberg reported that EA and BioWare were having an internal review of Anthem Next, otherwise Anthem 2.0, uh, progress to evaluate whether they wanted to cancel further development of the game or if they wanted to bulk up the team to get the project moving. Uh, the meeting has come and passed, apparently, and earlier this week, BioWare announced that Anthem is no longer being worked on, but that servers for the game in its current state would stay up for those who still want to play. And this brings me to something I've talked about a little bit on the Discord. So if you're in that, it may sound like I'm rehashing something. But for those who don't come into the Discord, I want to bring this up. I think that there's a fair argument here for people who view this as Bioware doing continually kind of failing. And EA by association here, of course, continuously failing and trying to do things to cover it up. And the reason I say that is that... They've kind of followed it up. Like, of course, when this hit, Bioware and EA put out a uh, put out a statement who are saying that because of how Anthem underperformed and the strength of single player games like Star Wars Jedi Fallen Order, that all multiplayer elements have been removed from Dragon Age Four, and it will now be a strictly single player experience. Now, apparently, the game was reportedly at one point described as Anthem with dragons from people who were familiar with the development, and now that's no longer going to be the case. Now, if you look at that, there's a lot of information about there, which brings up my big problem with Bioware and why, for the foreseeable future, I don't intend to buy any of their games. A big part of this is I think that if you're going to make promises, you should keep them. But when you look at more of the evidence of what comes together, I think my problem with how this has been handled is that the game came out and it didn't perform well. And instead of just trying to take it on the chin, like we've seen other companies do, and then put their heads down and do the work to fix the problem and then reap the benefits that come from the good PR you get to have when you finally fix the game to what people expected. Mm -hmm. Instead, they come out and go, you didn't like the game? Oh, well, um, we're going to put a team together and the team's going to work on it. They're going to make the game great. You'll see. We're going to fix the game and we believe in this game 100% and we w this game will be out to where everyone who bought it can play it and the new people can come in and it'll be great. And instead, what happens they do this thing really to just get good PR in the moment. Bioware had already had some flack that they got their way because of Mass Effect. Mass Effect didn't go they, the way they expected it to with Andromeda. They got a lot of flack for that. Then they see flack hit with Anthem. They didn't want to deal with that. So what do you do? You put out the best PR statement that you can and put a little team on it. But my problem here is that the ideal situation for this would have been to do exactly what No Man's Sky did. Put out a statement going, we are aware of where the games are, where the game's at, and we understand you're upset. Uh, you know, we'll update you as things go along. Put your head down, get a team focusing on the game, get where you're going to go, and then come out when you've got something to show. Then say, guys, here's what we've been working on. This is what you can expect in Anthem three months from now, one month from now, or do the No Man's Sky thing where it's like, hey, as of today, you can do this in this game. We don't even tell you about it. We just yeah, do it, and then we release surprise. it. And the reason I say that is that I think that the PR statement around this and at least the sentiment from me would have been a lot better if they took Anthem on the chin and said, we understand that this game isn't where you want it. You know, We're going to do everything we can to work on it. Never said anything more than that. Came out later and said, when the game released and we got feedback from you guys, we went head down with a new team, staffed it up, worked on the game, and here it is. And the other side of that is, well, what if it still would have ended up getting canceled? Because the reality is that maybe the game's not worth working on. But the thing they should have done 
is build a team up without making it a big hullabaloo and getting this big PR from it. Let the team work on it and then see if it's going to be worth it. And if it's not, you can quietly kill this without further upsetting people you've promised to fix to. Instead of actually taking the promise. And, yeah, you know, for me, it's, it's weird because Netflix gets away with their weird approach to cancellation where they'll make a Netflix original and then it doesn't perform well for season one. They kill it. It's just, it's dead. And honestly, you can't do that in the video game market because you spend $60 on this or if you bought like the collector's edition or anything like that, up to $100 or even 150 depending on how crazy the game is. But And then when you look at a game like this where there's also microtransactions yeah, that you're bringing in. it's all wasted. And to me, like this is one of those that should be not only an upholdal for the promise, but the promise shouldn't be made, period. They should never make a promise that they can't or you're even skeptical of keeping. But I think that this... It's just, it's a mess. And for me, I'm not a fan of the game. I bought it at launch, and I only played like four or five hours of it. I played the beta with Brett, I think, more than I had the that actual correct, base yeah. game. And, you know, I, I I just, I'm not shocked. And honestly, it just didn't feel like the studio made any effort to, to actually work on the game. It just felt like it was an empty promise to get the hardcore fan base that still played to spend more money on microtransactions and then just dip out. Well, and also just to save face, right? Because I think there's people who weren't interested in Anthem, but based off of the way that it was being perceived right there, may have been like, I don't know how I feel about buying future Bioware games, even if I wasn't interested in Anthem. And the reason I say that is you kind of see them do this thing. Like, do you remember when Anthem hit? It came out in what, February or March, one of those two? Something like that, yeah. And it didn't do real well. That next E3, we saw Dragon Age 4. Dragon Age 4 was not ready to be shown. It no. just started development. and Well, not really. It didn't just start development, but because apparently it's been in development since 2017. And at that point in time... Supposedly. Was, yeah. There's a bunch of reports, but that's just how it goes. But they show it when it's not ready, which is exactly what they did with Anthem. If you remember, they showed Anthem when it wasn't ready. And they kept going. And we took years and years and years to finally get Anthem. And they're doing the same thing with Dragon Age. And now, with that statement again, that they're going to be removing it, if you thought Dragon Age was already far off, and we learned about it two years ago, as a PR re- response to people being unhappy about Anthem, they were like, well, how can we make people happy? We know. Show them the new Dragon Age that we don't even know what it's actually going to be just yet. Yeah. And those are two different fan bases. Yeah, and then, oh, well, that didn't go... Okay, well, now Anthem's continuing to not be doing too well. Well, guess what we're going to do? Anthem next. We're going to talk about Anthem next. Okay, well, Anthem next is not doing too hot. Well, uh, we still haven't come out with anything with Anthem. Tell you what, people love Mass Effect. We're going to announce the Mass Effect collection, which would have been fine on its own. But then what do you want to do on top of that? Well, here's the Mass Effect collection, but also here's Mass Effect... Or whatever you want to call it. <laughs> Here's the new Mass Effect that, again, we not don't ready. even know what it is. Yeah, and it's ready, not ready. So. I don't think that the Mass Effect remakes, I don't think that that has anything to do with damage control. No, nor do of, I. In terms of Anthem, but I think it does have to do with damage control for Bioware. Ex- that's what in I mean. General. It's not about Anthem anymore, but yeah. it's about Bioware overpromising things because of Mass Effect, Andromeda, and Anthem and bringing Age. them down to a point where people are like, ugh. And then people are worried about Dragon Age because Dragon Age got announced. And then what did we hear recently? People from the Dragon Age team are leaving. Oh, yeah. And then what happened right before the, the remakes got announced? Casey Anthony or Casey Anthony. <laughs> what? <laughs> <laughs> what? What is his actual name? That's gonna. That's funny. Casey Anthony. Bioware Casey. What is his name? Casey Hudson. 
Woo! That's funny. Casey Hudson, the oh person gosh. who was the head of Bioware, left and stepped down. Uh, and my point there is that there's P. All this is is continual PR. How do we make fans be like? How do we make them not think about the fact that Casey just left again? Well, and see, I think Let's here's, just keep going, keep here, going. Here's where they hit a gold bond they don't realize. Do you know why I'm excited for the Mass Effect collection? Because it's games they've already made that they haven't messed up on. <laughs> yeah. So it's like maybe think about re like redoing the Dragon Age games as 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 that. Maybe Bioware should become a port company. I don't know. I just port port Kotor over with enhanced resolution and textures. I mean, hey, I'm not saying no. But I don't think that that version of Bioware necessarily exists, and I say that I mean, it doesn't have to. I but- say that unsubstantiated, to be fair, because right now we don't know what Mass Effect and the next Dragon Age are going to look like. All we know is that they exist. But, but I think for all the people that want Mass Effect and Dragon Age because they have this fond memory of what they were during the PS3 era, and even maybe Inquisition early PS4 era. There, you don't know if that's the same thing. And the truth is, eventually, Andromeda even though a wasn't. company keeps a name, yeah. doesn't mean that they really keep a thing. That you know, the reality of it is, is that you could love Crash Bandicoot and Jack and Daxter and have hated Uncharted and The Last of Us. Andromeda wasn't the same. Yeah, people I, I, within the same series, it wasn't the same. No, yeah, like you could have slapped any other any other name on top of that game, and I changed, think it would have done better. Change races around, and it probably it actually would have done better because, because there wouldn't have been the expectation of a Mass Effect game. I, I'm not pretending that Mass Effect One didn't have glitches and stuff like that when it first came out, but what was cool about that was that the story, the, the and the character system and the 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 permadeath on things like that, where your characters can actually die, carried it through those bugs and glitches because it was that good. It was novel at that time, and the other parts that were. The parts that weren't that good were buoyed and supported by the parts that were really good. Well, what's interesting about Mass Effect is that it's a very fascinating game to look back on because you have Mass Effect 1 that came out, and it did have its its fair share of bugs and glitches, but it was carried by such a cool system involving characters that the gameplay was kind of stale, but it still worked, and it still allowed you to carry yourself through a great story and a great system involving these characters. Mass Effect 2 improved on the gameplay... And the story kind of started weakening, but at the same time, they opened up exploration. And then you could go do certain things, and if you didn't go explore and mine these uh, like materials on planets, then your ship wasn't strong enough. And then if you get attacked out in space, which happens, then your ship can get destroyed and which will kill characters, which happens. But then Mass Effect 3 came out, and it was like, well, we're going to approve a little bit on gameplay. And gameplay was finally kind of a shell of what Andromeda was. But then the story started dipping down. The characters and stuff started dipping down. So then you saw what gameplay-wise was probably the best Mass Effect, but everything else was the worst Mass Effect. Because at the end, nothing in the first two games mattered. It was all for nothing. Because all the choices you made, all the characters you had, at the end, Shepard had a predestined one-sided ending. That was very lame. Didn't they go in and update it and change the ending? They they went in and did something to the ending, and I, I'm not sure what it is because I was so far out of it that I didn't care. But like, all they had to do was confirm the indoctrination theory yeah. that, that Reapers indoctrinate, indoctrinated Shepard. That's all they had to do. And if they would have confirmed that, it would have been like, that's actually pretty cool. It wouldn't have been the greatest thing in the world, but it would have been pretty cool. 
They yeah. couldn't even do that. You know, I didn't beat Mass Effect One because it was super glitchy. I highly recommend you play on the remasters. I highly recommend. Well, apparently it. they apparently they really fixed it on the PS3 too. Because you remember Mass Effect One for a long time was a 360 bad, exclusive, and it was bad performing when it finally came to PS3. Was it? It was. It was supposed terrible. to have been better, but I didn't play. It, it was the frame rate in that game was all over the place. If you threw out a thermal grenade, it was just like welcome to slideshow time. I remember you playing it. But I, I thought I, it was two that I was watching. I'm surprised. No, that was one. It was one. And, and you, I think I remember you saying, like, wow, this game did not hold up well. And it did not. Okay. Yeah, it's, been, it's been a long time. But uh, yeah. two is the only one I've played and beat. And I didn't even touch three because, I don't know, I loved two. And I thought I was going to be excited about three. And it just, I wasn't. With, so, I guess my thing here is I can afford to be like, nah, screw Bioware. Because I don't really care that much about Mass Effect or Dragon Age. I understand that they're beloved game series. And I think that there are good ones within them. I've enjoyed certain aspects of those things. But... It's not to the point where I'm like, oh, I would absolutely love that. I just think that this is they had they've had a number of companies to look at, even within their own thing, of how to turn a game around, and they just ignored all of that. All they have to do, if if all they have to do is do what they're doing with Mass Effect, and they could have done this years ago. They could they have Knights of the Republic one and two that they could have redo and put on the system. They have. Do you know how many games Bioware's made that are good? And I don't know how many of them EA have the rights to, though. True. But, like, even then, because, like, technically, wasn't it LucasArts that had the rights to KOTOR? Yeah, that sounds correct. But even then. Actually, I, you know what? I think EA published. But I think it was one of those things where it's, like, they? EA and LucasArts are together. Let's see. Actually, that has to be right, because EA makes Star Wars games now. Well, this was well before that deal well, what I'm saying, didn't EA buy out LucasArts? I'm talking about in terms of them remastering it today. They should have an issue with it. But if you never played Mass Effect or if you played Andromeda and you are a fan of like, if you're a fan of Andromeda, you're going to, first of all, you're going to love the first three games because it's just more sci-fi goodness. Um, And it's done in a, in a, in a better way that the story is told, at least for the first two games. And the character driven aspect of those games is very deep. Speaking of Casey Hudson, he was the director uh, for KOTOR. KOTOR. I'm not surprised actually. And he's no longer with the company now. Ah, he had left before. He was actually one of the heads on Anthem. <laughs> Sadly. What's weird is it looks that like... weird. I think that Star Wars Knights of the Old Republic 2 was published by EA. It looks like the first one was... Oh, no, the second one was Obsidian. Where's EA coming yeah, I was gonna say, The second one should have been Obsidian. I knew that. I knew it and people, people were weird about that, too, because people who love Fallout New Vegas are like... The writing and, and stuff is awful in two, but it's like it's the same company. And it's very Probably similar. The same it's writers. Very. I, I would not doubt it. It's very similar writing styles. And I've I've met. There's one person that was a childhood friend of mine who hated Kotor two, but he loved one. And he said the writing in two is bad, but his favorite game was New Vegas. And I don't. <laughs> he never saw the irony in that. And I was just like, dude, it's they they the writing and the speaking of these characters is done in such a similar way i don't understand at all um so if if you are that way or if you have that kind of same notion of feeling let me know on why you feel that way because i don't understand it and he couldn't do a proper job of explaining it to me other than oh it's just bad (laughs) well i mean and something can be bad in one instance and then the same team can do better the next but you're not wrong but i don't think that i don't think either one of those games has bad writing or storytelling in either one of them one more example of ea and their ever 
conscious damage control that they do. Uh, it's Chief Studios Officer Laura Miel, Mieli, I don't really know how you say her last name. So Laura has come out to say that EA has been working to put the future of beloved IP, or new IP for that matter, in the hands of the studios working on the games. Uh, in the article that you can read over at IGN, she makes a mentions of Apex and Titanfall developer Respawn and how the future of Titanfall proper is ultimately in the hands of its creator. Thank you. She clarifies that at the end of the day, EA proper does have final say on what games are greenlit, updated, or abandoned. And in this case, it is unclear from reading the back and forth. It seems like in certain articles and in certain things you read, that EA is the reason that Anthem Next is gone. And then other times it seems like it's Bioware saying that they didn't want to keep staff on it and that they could rather use those staffs elsewhere. I'm assuming the truth is probably somewhere in the middle. <laughs> yeah. But who knows? But my point being is, for as much as she's saying, and I get it, you know, she says that the studios wants and the creators behind these things, as well as the player voices, uh, should have high impact. And she points towards the fact that Skate 4 is coming uh, and the announcement of that as kind of an example of EA listening to what some of the creators wanted to do versus what some of the fans wanted. And that's all good. But she comes in with a statement, which has just got to be true, that EA is going to have the proper... The EA proper is going to have the final say as to what happens. So this is still just more of them. Like I'm, it's probably true. They probably do let a lot of their people come in. But at the end of the day, EA is going to be the one who comes up by and either makes the games actually be move forward or drop it and don't ever touch it again. Give me Titanfall three. Boy, we'll see what ends up happening. Yeah, Apex they said- is a really good substitute for Titanfall in my opinion, but it's a battle royale. So I. I just can't play multiple rounds of those unless I'm playing with friends in a row. Well, and I just want a story, and I like the story in, in Titanfall 2. I still never the, the, story the, the multiplayer fantastic. was fantastic. Titanfall 2's campaign is so fun. I still need to play through it. I think I still own that game. It's really good. So there you are. See what you will about that. I'm curious as to how people are going to land on this and how this does, in fact, impact Bioware. I think my problem here is that We've seen EA put a bunch of studios they've bought to the chopping block. It's just kind of what they do (laughs) to a degree. It's not all they do. Uh, But I'm curious as to what happens with Dragon Age or the next Mass Effect, whichever one comes first. What what happens to Bioware if they have yet another flop? They become a port company. Or do they just get their doors closed? No, I guarantee they'll become a port company for that. They'll, 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 They'll throw out all the gold mines they have from the past, and then they'll close doors. When those when those stop selling, which would which will probably be never if it's like Kotor, I can Kotor still still on Steam, let alone a remastered, retexturized version of that game. Yeah, I could see that. Uh, next thing up, Mortal Shell, a game that you know I talked a ton about and really enjoyed. It was one of my favorite games from last year. Is getting the PS5 treatment with 4K, 60 frames per second gameplay. Now, of course, it's probably not native 4K, but at the end of the day, it doesn't matter. 60 it looks frames per second is all I care clean. About. It's 60 frames per second. It's getting high quality textures. One of the things that I probably skirted over to some degree because it wasn't a game breaker. But one of the things I always wished would have been worked on with that game, very small team, keep that in mind, is that when you're playing the game, graphically it had like this shimmering effect that would happen around the edges of something. And I think, I don't know, I think it came from the game using a variable resolution so that depending on what was going on to make sure it kept its 30 frames per second, which I do think it did a fantastic job of, it would drop down resolution to where you just see these shimmering effects. It might have been because of lack of anti-aliasing or a number of things, but it looks so much better now. And this game has gotten a lot of love and this team has gotten a lot out of this. And I think that this is going to be awesome. So I cannot wait 
to jump back in and play this. It's a free upgrade. Comes out next week. I think on Wednesday. Um, I could be wrong on the date, but it comes out next week. If you've not played the game, the best way I can describe it, and I was talking with one of our patrons, uh, Cypher Primus, over in the Discord, that this game is a great way to kind of get yourself into the idea of what you what is expected of you from a Souls-like game, but without being... I think it's a little more accessible. The fact that you've got this shell system so you can really change the way your character is without having to understand how to work your inventory system. You just get into the shell and it has its classes already done. But at the same time, if you get knocked out of that shell, you have like a second chance mechanic where you can run around in your shellless body and get back in the shell and you have full health again. So it's a good way for you to get used to these things and understand what's wanted of you while still learning a lot of the ideas behind what makes those games work. But also, if you want that extra challenge, you can make the game harder than an average Souls-like, again, just when you're playing them normally by doing a no-shell a no shell run where you just run through the whole thing. If you get hit a single time, you die. So the game is flexible is my big point, and I think it's a great game. And it's well-priced, $30. I think it's a really good game. It might be 39 for the PS5 version. It's super charming, too. I lost interest in it, but I'm hoping that the uh, – and I didn't lose interest in it for any particular reason um, – I just I'm hoping that this will no bring me back because I'm definitely gonna try it out. The 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 starting area, um, Fallgrim. Fallgrim, yeah, that's that is the main area of the, the game, hub. Realistically, yeah. it is a really cool and well done area. Yeah, I really like this. The game. game has a lot of um, pizzazz to it. I just can't believe such a small team. The team's like I think less than ten people. Yeah, made and that. Just made that. It's it is very high quality. I'm hoping maybe subliminally it was the thirty frames that was throwing me off. From the game? Maybe, because at that point, you were already used to playing uh, Dark Souls 3 with 45-ish yeah, frames uh, per second. It, uh, yeah, I don't know. I'm going to try it out, though. I'm excited. We'll see what happens. Speaking of games huh. that have big problems, <laughs> Cyberpunk's 1.2 patch was originally intended to launch in the next few weeks of the roadmap announcement, which would have given it a late February window if they were going to hold to that. But now CD Projekt Red have taken to Twitter to announce that due to the cyber attack on the studio earlier this month, which if you've not heard about, some people got in and got their uh, source code for all these different things and sold some of this stuff on the black web. Big, a lot of stuff happening here. Um, Is there actually proof that this happened? I don't know. I don't Because this is I don't almost know. convenient to them. I don't know how you disprove it. By the fact that there's no proof. <laughs> well, okay then. I mean, because somebody somebody made it a good point on Twitter. They're like, "Oh yeah, they're like, uh, you got you got uh, had a cyber attack just happened to be right before you're about to launch a game fixing bug." <laughs> anyway, the studios say that due to the cyber attack, as well as the general scope of the update being kind of together, they won't be hitting their original target like they intended. The update is now aiming for the second half of March. The bigger question here is how does this impact the rest of their roadmap? Does this push to the PS5 version of, of well, the PS5 and Series X version of Cyberpunk out to like 2022? If they do that, I'll never support them again. See what happens. I'm very curious. A year out for a year from launch already to get enhancements on a next gen console game that was already what you should have been developing for. I agree. Pushing it till a year and a half out or even further than a year out is is that is a that's a that's a non starter. It's done. You know, I, we were talking about how how does Anthem and what they've happened with Anthem on Bioware affect people buying the new games coming forward? And a good question here is they have uh, The Witcher Three coming and. Again, the internet is not always indicative of everything. Does the cyberpunk thing have any real impact on the Witcher next-gen version that's coming from Saber Interactive? 
There's no telling. Really, there is I, no telling. And I have no hope for it with how Cyberpunk was handled. Don't get me wrong. I'm sure when all, all said and done, I'm sure I'm going to enjoy the game. But I'm not touching that game until it's, it's a great 100% game. fixed. Sucks that it is, was in the state that it was. It, yeah. it is a great game. But I don't, I don't, I'm not upset that anyone doesn't want to play it. Because of all of these things happening. It's just it's what it is. Uh, speaking of games being heavily delayed, though, Vampire the Masquerade Bloodlines 2. What a name, too. It's very long-winded. It is. And what's more funny is the way that you have to go about formatting it. Vampire, colon, the Masquerade, dash, Bloodlines 2. <laughs> it's very grammatically correct. I mean, I like that. I, I appreciate that it is. It just seems long and odd. Anyway. Originally announced and teased back in February of 2019 when they came out with their little joke dating site. Uh, it was an app you could download called Tinder, uh, but T-E-N-D-E-R. <laughs> uh, anyway, Chicken that was tenders. originally what it was, and it had an expected March 2020 release. Uh, that's now since been pushed back multiple times, with the title now being announced by the publisher that the game will no longer be developed by Hardsuit Labs with no new team announced and therefore pushed out of its 2021 release. They insist that the game is still coming, but you know what this sounds like? This sounds an awful lot like Lords of the Fallen 2. <laughs> a game that has had more than one developer, and every time they're like, this new developer is going to bring it home, and then a couple months go by, or maybe even a year, and, well, the new developer is also no longer working on it, and we're looking for a new developer. I have a weird hot take with that. The game wasn't... It was good. Do not get me wrong. You're, you're, this podcast is probably one of the only people that will tell you that. that this game is not worth all this. The sequel for that game... Oh, <laughs> that I, game is nothing special. I, I, liked, I liked Lords of the Fallen, and I'll tell you right now, the, the money that has had to have gone into making this, there's no way there, that... This is, this is... I don't know what this is at this point. So the same thing here is it's unfortunate, and the bigger thing is, is that apparently this Hard Suit Labs, this developer, is the reason that this game is being made to begin with. Somebody in the company had pushed for there to be a pitch to make a new one. Yeah. And then they reached and touched um, base with the original writer from the first game, which came out in like 2004, and got them back on board, got all this moving. So for Hardsuit Labs to be being pushed off of it, I'm trying to figure out what's going on. Is it Hardsuit Labs having issues? Is it conflict of interest between Paradox and Hardsuit? What's going on here? Like, have the people who wanted this to happen in Hardsuit left so that the spirit's just not there? I don't know, but this does not bode well. And, I, you know, you get this thing where they're saying, you know, we appreciate what Hard Suit has done. They've left us a really great foundation. But we're at a point where whenever developers get completely taken off of a game, I tend to just, in my mind, say, this game is not going to come. Now, of course, we've seen situations where that does happen because we saw development completely leave. Uh, Japan Studio was no longer involved. Team Ico, specifically, was no longer involved in The Last Guardian's development. And that game did still end up coming, even though some of its development team just did it under a new name. But my right. point here being is that while it can happen, you might as well, if you're excited for this game, just go ahead and get used to the fact that there's a high chance that it just doesn't come out. Or it becomes the next two human. <laughs> or Duke Nukem Forever. Ooh, the 360 era had a lot of games that yeah. were just being made for like 10 plus years. In five years, is people going to call Anthem the new two human? I sure hope not, because <laughs> Anthem still didn't take a decade, <laughs> you know? True. And it didn't bankrupt the developer yet. But 
we'll see what happens there. Uh, next thing is a cool piece of news. Hot Wheels is roaring back to games with its own proper release, uh, which the reason I say that is, if I'm not mistaken, I think it was Forza Horizon 4, one of those two, had a Hot Wheels expansion that a lot of people really liked. Three had that, I think. Three, that yeah. sounds correct. Four might have had one, too, but I'm pretty sure three was the one that started that. Okay, either way, uh, the new game Hot Wheels Unleashed brings together tons of the brand's coolest cars together to drift, boost, jump, and crash across crazy tracks with high-speed arcade racing. Go watch the trailer. Does not mean that it's indicative of the gameplay, but the trailer is so charming and really cool-looking. Uh, it releases later this year on September 30th for both PS5 and PS4 generations, so Xbox One, Xbox Series X. And what's cool about the trailer is, again, it's clearly a CGI trailer, but it looks like the idea here is to allow you to be able to build your own tracks using the old classic orange, <laughs> you know, track pieces. Yeah. And it looks really cool. There's even like a part of the trailer where you see the cars start going on the upside down part of the track. And, you know, there are tracks out there that have that and they magnetize to the car. Right. And you see this like electric magnet thing holding the cars up and then you see a car get hit because you can like hit each other and he falls off the tracks so i'm curious to see how gameplay is going to come together here but they've done a really good job with the initial trailer showing off something that looks really fun i will probably get this it looks great you should watch it too so it reminded me of lego movies with the charm kind of yeah i can see that my favorite part was the car falling off and even though you hear all these car noises suddenly it falls off and hits the desk and it just sounds like a hot wheel it sounds, the yeah desk. it sounds just like a toy car hitting a de- like a desk it's, it's fantastic great. next thing up sony started as we talked about this last week off with a smattering of news from psvr2 coming sometime after this year not 2021 but with a single cable connection and newly designed controllers that take advantage of the tech used in the dual sense now keep in mind there was not much more talked about it from that. So if you're wondering if there's more that was hidden behind that, there's no talk about what the resolution on the screens are going to be, how that's going to track you, if it's going to be inside out tracking, um, like the quest two uses or the quest and the quest Two use or what we don't know any of that yet, but this is also not really a new announcement so much as it's just like a reframing of what they talked about about a year ago when their tech, uh, I can't remember if it was a tech officer or who, but we're talking about things they wanted to do with the next iteration of PSVR, like eyeball tracking and all these different things. So do with that information what you will. Uh, the next thing up, though, they had a they announced their return to Sony's Play at Home initiative, bringing four months of free games and entertainment, starting with Ratchet and Clank's PS4 reboot in March, as well as what looks like it may be a free month of Funimation. I'm that, not sure. Yeah, that's that. That was the weird part to me. Well, Sony's owned Funimation for a long time, so that's cool. Of them. yeah, it, I mean, it is. I'm not saying it's weird as in like what well, it's surprising i should say sure um and the last thing they announced there is that starting this spring with days gone there is a number of playstation exclusives coming to pc which does bring about a larger conversation about the impact of those things uh which i guess is a good time to get into so days gone hitting in spring to pc they didn't say what other games but there are some so the, i guess the question here saul that i have for for both of us really what game do you think after Days Gone is the next game that you can think of in Sony's exclusive lineup that makes sense to move to PC at this time. God of War. You think God of War goes? Well, we've talked about this a lot on the podcast already, but like we we both kind of came to the conclusion that like after X amount of time, there's no problem with these exclusives going to PC because there's just more sales for that company, and then you know we everybody's already had their feel. It doesn't really hurt Sony in any way. God of War. 
God of War has been permanently marked to $20 now. Anybody who has ever wanted it could get it on sale almost monthly for $10, $12, sometimes even, like, I think $16. Like, there's always deep discounts on this game. I think that's just the next, that's just the next go-ahead. Like, you don't need, you don't, you don't need prior God of War knowledge to, 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 to play that game. No, you don't. It would help, but you don't need it. But yeah, it's just it's one of those games that like that is a very big first party game that I am one hundred percent sure will eventually go on PC. I doubt it's the next one because okay. I was surprised Horizon was the first one. I think Horizon made the most sense to me because Destiny was already being used on PC for Death Stranding. For Death Stranding. Yeah, but even then, it was just like that's it was it shocked me. But I could almost like the fact that Kratos is in Fortnite now. <laughs> I was just like, well, what is this about? So like, yeah, yeah. well. My idea here for this in particular, right? And I guess it comes down to what's the benefit? And that's what you can look at. What's the benefit for letting these games go to PC outside of the clear and obvious you make more money off of games you've already done because they can come back and price them much higher? Right. We saw that Horizon was priced at $50 on PC. I remember correct? 40 or 50 yeah. That's um, one of the two. But still, that's much higher than what it's been on PS4 for a right. long time. So, that's of course, that's your obvious immediate motivation. But what's the bigger motivation that ties into the way that Sony actually does their marketing? Or their, how their market comes into play? Like, the way that we see them actually profit and their business model, how does this come back in? And I guess the idea there would be that after so long, when these games have hit pretty much about everyone they're going to hit on PS4, what you can do, the idea there would be if you move this onto PC, outside of the money that you get, then you get the benefit of letting new, new people experience your game and potentially fall in love with it to such a degree that they don't want to wait for the new one that's coming up, like God of War 2, Ragnarok, whatever you want to call well, it. Well, that's the thing, too, for me. is like That's the main reason for God of War is we know 2 is around the corner. Either a year from now or a year and a half from now, we'll sure. have it. What better way to draw people to buy a PS5 than to give them God of War? And they need a PS5 to finish the story up. They're not going to want to wait four years or whatever it is to play it on PC if it ever goes to PC. Yeah, let's call it two years. Because yeah. so far, it looks like around two years is about what we're seeing. So, Well, God of War was three. Horizon was three, wasn't it? Yes, but Days Gone now being a 2019 game, 2021. True. Balances out. It looks like they're, they're closing the gap, but it's you can't really tell because Days Gone is just a one-of example. Yeah, sure. But I, my assumption for a long time was two years is about when you see PlayStation games really hit their market saturation, at least in terms of not many more people are going to buy them on PlayStation without them or get them on PlayStation without them being basically free through something like PS Now or PS Plus. Yeah. Uh, that's about what we've seen Sony do. So if you carry that through, when Sony starts putting the game on PS Now and PS Plus, PS Now it's already available on PC, but you only are making subscription money for it. Why not just go out and say, we know when you play on PC, you really want to play with max resolution and all these things. So no go ahead. Have, 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 have a blast. Yeah. Do it this way. And um, I also wonder what that means for the implications of PS Now on PC. Does like Horizon Zero Dawn that's in there, do they get to a point where the PC version of PS Now will let you download, download the PC version of Horizon? Yeah, that's a good question. And do kind of like what Game Pass for PC does now. Uh, but all that going across, two years is roughly what we see. That would, of course, be the reason. Get people to get in and be like, oh, this game was really great. Instead of having to wait another two years for the sequel to come uh, to PC, I'll go ahead and jump into a PS5 and get it, and bam, now you have a new customer. Right. And... While that's not necessarily something we know to be true right now, though it's possible because Horizon did come out, 
there was a surprising number of PS5 owners who have never owned PlayStation 4. Yes, that statistic came out like this week or last where it, a lot of people knew like our new entries to this to to this ecosystem that bought a PS5 at launch and you know, you always get a little majority with that at any console launch, but this was a big majority of the percentages they gave. And it was actually really it was kind of surprising. What is it like was it like Three out of five. It was it was really high. Yeah, it was three out of five. Whatever was, it was, it was surprising. Yeah, eighty percent or whatever it was. It was ridiculously high for what you would expect. And you know, for me, like I've said it before, I don't care if a game's out a year and it goes to PC. I don't care. I don't care about that. I know that I have a PS. Like I I I have a PS Five, and I I there is no bragging rights. I don't care about that. One of my favorite things to see is like. Anytime something like this is announced, Twitter just melts down, and you have all <laughs> these people just bickering and fighting. And it's you have Xbox people saying like, "Well, you have no exclusives now; it's all timed." And it's like, "But all your stuff's on PC, anyways." So like, what does it matter? Yeah, you it's know, just, it's lame. It's it's lame. I don't think like consoles. Like I've, I've said it before, consoles are nothing without exclusives. But at the same time. A timed exclusive in my mind, and in that instance, is the same as a normal exclusive. Until it's suddenly not. Until it's suddenly not. I agree. And I think, see, like, going back to that argument, right? Well, you don't have any exclusives because they're always day and date with PC. Well, if nothing else, even even if PlayStation games do go to PC two years out, that means that you had a two year exclusive. And. Typically speaking, it's not going to be a two-year exclusive of like when people were upset that Tomb Raider went one-year exclusive for Xbox after being a multiplayer game right before it. I understand the annoyance of that. that yeah, that's, that, that That'd sense. be like, and don't be wrong, this very well could happen, and it's heavily rumored. There's a rumor out there that Sony's going to get six months or whatever. I can't remember the exact timeline that the rumor is, but let's say that Sony got six months exclusive console rights to Grand Theft Auto 6. I still think that's a pretty stupid move. Yeah. Now, as a PlayStation fan, that's awesome because I benefit from it. Do I think it's bad move for it? Do I think it's a, a slimy move for the people that don't benefit from it? Yeah. Now, that's partially just business, and that's what happens, and that's why you can have a game like Hellblade that suddenly comes but at least by nature of owning the company, Hellblade 2 is now probably going to be an exclusive. I can't see a reason why they would bring and, that to PlayStation. And that, that, to me, is just everyday business kind of stuff. Like, that's exactly. like the company got bought out. It's going to be exclusive. Okay, Even that, the reality that the next Elder Scrolls could end up being exclusive. That makes sense. Yeah. So, okay, like here's a perfect example. Say if Bloodborne 2 comes out, and it's on PS5. And you're like, okay, cool. But then three years later, it goes to PC. That doesn't lessen the value at all of Bloodborne 2. If anything, it's it now makes it better because for the people that don't know, the Souls communities have these return to like the return to um, Yarnum or return to um, uh, oh my gosh, I can't think of the name of any other the areas in the games. But like it's it's like once a year, you everybody goes back to these games and they play them. So there's messages, there's invasions, there's co-op. It's all very lively, and you know. Those three games, or those three, uh, Dark Souls 1, 2, 3, and um, they have way more bigger communities because they're multi-platform, and that's a, a direct instant benefit, where Bloodborne, sure, the community may be smaller, but it's still a good community, but it could always, any community could benefit from more people. That's the point of a community, right? You don't, like Small communities are great, but like if more people came in, that's typically what you want, because more conversations can be had and carried on. But what what game would you want? Like, or what game would you 
So I'm going to tell you right now, I actually think that the ones that come to mind that I see Sony being more bullish on keeping there forever, um, not maybe not forever, but at least I don't see them doing anytime soon. I think actually God of War is one, one of the one ones I think they're going to hold. And I have reason for saying this. When a game comes out and sells 20 million units on your system, no problem, yeah. I think it makes sense to leave there. And the reason I say that is Horizon did do really well. 10 million copies, yeah, that's great. Um but you were already messing with the engine over there. It was a good way to be like, you know what? The engine's already going to be on there. We're working on it, which means half of the work to getting on PC is already done for us. Bam, let's just go ahead and do it. Test it. Days Gone sold better than expected, but still didn't just light the world on, on fire. I think it sold less than 10 million units. There's reasons to try and open that up to recoup more of your development cost. A game like God of War, which was actually made on quite a budget, and Sony's saying, like, we'll let you do it, but you've got to be able to do it within this budget because The Last God of War did not do very well. Then you end up with a game like this still. I think it makes more reason for Sony to look and be like, that made up its development cost much better. The excitement for a new entry is so high that we can keep it here and just do it this way. I That's the way I view it. I think certain series are going to sell so well that Sony's just like, we're still going to leave them here so that you have that idea of evergreen exclusives. There will always still be some evergreen exclusives. And then I think some of those games like Horizon and Days Gone, which I actually think have a ton in common with the way they play, mm -hmm. um, I think moving those on and definitely the games like Days Gone, be like, well, just recoup as much of the cost as we can and then get people interested in the next one to hopefully get a PS5. Uh, now, the one I actually... And it's weird because so many of them are starting to go, you don't think about it. It's like, well, it's like, well, Beyond Two Souls which is a PS3 game, but Beyond Two Souls, Heavy Rain, and Detroit, all three of those are already on PC, not even by Sony. Sony just licensed it out for someone else to publish. Right. Journey, already on PC. Flower. Licensed it out to someone else. Flower, Death Stranding. Death Stranding, they licensed I don't even know. That might have been an agreement beforehand, but Sony owns that IP, and 505 is who published the PC version. Who knows why that was chosen to be the way they do that, but yeah. is what it is. Um so there's a number of games that were one point in time exclusives that have already gone out for a number of other reasons. The next one that I really see happening, and this is probably going to be controversial, only because we haven't heard a lot about it lately, I think The Last of Us 2 has a high chance of going over. Now, part of me wants to say that Naughty Dog would be one of the developers that they'd want to keep it on system, but I think what's happened because of how The Last of Us 2 and then by nature, Ghost of Tsushima being so close to it and how well those were handled. I think that right now there's more reason to keep Ghost of Tsushima exclusive to PS4 and then have the PS5 update and let that just stay there and then take a game like The Last of Us, which obviously was much more expensive to make and seemingly is not sold as well, by proxy, and go ahead and move it on. Last of Us 1 would be first, though. I wonder. No, uh, you, you would. You, no. would, you would say that it would no. almost have to be at this no, point. No, right? that would be a gigantic misstep. You have no clue, but that could be our community's take. That'd be a good I was one. thinking, I was thinking of that one, or like, what would you like to see out of Bioware? Yeah, I was thinking about that too. Uh, but yeah, the the implications. I'm going to play devil's advocate real quick, and I, I even because I understand it's not even that it's not necessarily where my head falls, but I understand the feeling. This is a conversation that Chris and I were having in regards to this because Blake, being a big Xbox fan and PlayStation, he plays them all, but he of course made the quick joke within our own private chat of, "Oh, but uh, PlayStation has no exclusives or whatever," and. Um, we started talking about it and what it means. And Chris mentioned, you know, the thing is, is that what happens when a game suddenly leaves from being an exclusive, you get this feeling of 
basically you bought this console with the mindset that you were going to get exclusives and you bought that under the promise that those games could not be had anywhere else. And the moment that they are available somewhere else, part of the, what you were sold on definitely for the PS4 has now been taken from you. And it doesn't mean it's the end of the world or a big deal, but there's reason there's a, there's a reasonable thing happening there as to why someone would be upset that they'd come to PS five. Now, not maybe into the world or not PS five PC, maybe not into the world upset, but there is, at the end of the day, still the thing that, depending on why you bought your system and what you felt Sony promised you, that you were lied to. Right. And now that doesn't make you wrong for being upset that you're no longer going to have something exclusive just by nature of, well, it's about being exclusive because it's what PlayStation's always been. And that is a reasonable thing. You know, if you buy a console on the aspect of thing, it's it's like when people were upset about um, buying the PS3 for The Last Guardian and then it came to PS4. It's like, you to know, me, though, that's that, that that's where the controversy lies in this, though, is that you still that is that wrong? It may be exclusive. Also, the last it, guardian will come to PC. It only affects <laughs> it. It would only affect those if a it comes out on the console that you have already. And that's why you're mad because you got a PS3 or B. It only came. It didn't it, can't, it didn't come out at all on that console. So like what I'm saying is if I had a 360 and I saw last guardian, I'm like, cool, I'm gonna buy a PS three for that. And I bought a PS three for that. But then two years later, after I had played it, it came to Xbox. Why oh, would I, I get it? At the end of the day, it doesn't matter. It's yeah. just, it, it still comes down to why did you buy the PlayStation? Did you buy it on the promise that you were going to get exclusives that you could only pl- ever play there? Then technically, yeah, you aren't, you didn't end up with what you thought you were ending up with, but I don't think that there's now it's not the end of the world. And I don't think it's a reason to go and be, hateful towards people on the internet. But I think if someone's just in their own feelings of saying like, you know, I do personally wish these games would not have left exclusivity because that's what I bought into. And that's no longer the case. Then that's a fair argument. It's, it's about what you do with that opinion. Realistically, do you, you have that opinion and just, how it affects you as an individual, or do you have that opinion and how you're going to spread that out to everyone else in a toxic manner? I think that's really what it comes down to. Honestly, it should just be a, a um, marketing change of launching on PS five. That's another thing. I think Sony with this need to start being very careful about the way that they announce their games. And I say that because when you say that something is exclusive, that's a very cut and dry word. Yeah. It's exclusive. And Xbox has the benefit of saying it's 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 Xbox platform exclusive. Well, Windows is an Xbox platform. Right. So by nature, it's okay. Now, there's more of a reason to look and go, okay, well, they said it's exclusive to Xbox, and now suddenly this game is on the Switch, which has happened a few times. But the point at the end of the day, just I think Sony's always... L- really lived on their exclusives to a much higher degree than Microsoft has. So Microsoft's pivoting the way they did definitely so long ago now. It makes sense for them to do that. Sony needs to do something very similar to what Microsoft did and change your your marketing accordingly to be able to support that. Yeah. And you can still come out up front and say, but they won't. And that's really the, I feel like they won't. I feel like the problem is, is they want to be able to say, play it on PS5 only. They don't really want to say that, oh, Play it on PS5 only for two years, but then on PC you can also play it. But don't worry, it will never come to Xbox. They've already kind of gotten around that, and they're going to have to fix this too, is that these games, like Horizon and like uh, Days Gone, have that stupid tab on the front of the physical copies only on PlayStation. Now it's not. Yep. 
So they're going to have to get to a point where they're going to have to, on all their first-party games, stop doing that. Even if they're like, we don't have plans right now, that plan could any ever change. And at that point, that act, that literally becomes false advertising. Yeah, and that's the problem with only on PlayStation, right, is that it really does come to this degree. Uh, this sounds like a weird thing, and I wasn't going to originally bring this up in this episode, but this is actually a good parallel as to what's going on right now. So it's likely not going to cause anything other than potential small slowdown of the purchase. Uh, but right now, a long-running lawsuit is coming back up into the media because – it's potentially having an impact on Bethesda being bought out by Microsoft and Cinemax. And the reason is, is that there's a lawsuit from fallout four where before fallout four came out, they had advertised for the season pass that all DLC for fallout four will be included in the season pass. And then they came out with that creation club thing, which let people come in and do mods. And then Bethesda had Bethesda developed mods that you had to pay for on there. And people who bought the season pass felt that the season pass should have entitled them to the creation club content because it was still DLC for fallout four that was made by Bethesda. Right. And right now that's going on. And the argument there is false advertisement because it advertised that every bit of downloadable content, which is a very broad term for fallout four would be available to you. If you ever, if you bought this season pass and what I'm curious about right now is that that's something that happened way later. Is there a potential? And I don't really think that it should happen this way, but is there a potential for a class action lawsuit against Sony for games that you bought that said only on PlayStation that later went to another platform? Can you go and say, I bought this, under the expectation that I would only be able to play this here, you would no, because you couldn't sue on those grounds. Because well, why gonna, couldn't you? It's I mean, it, false advertising. Because they're going to say, well, like, well, what does that affect? How does that affect you? Did you play it there? And like, yeah, well, you got what you paid for it and leave. Well, you would have to prove that you bought the console because of that, and that's near impossible. I don't really think that's near impossible. I think that there's a reasonable argument. I that's you would have to have the receipt from the console that you bought it. That would be like, and then have to have like a reason. Well, that would be like saying, "Oh, well, did you buy the you bought the season pass for this because you knew that one day Creation Club was going to happen?" Like, well, you bought the season pass, right? Yeah. Well, did you play all the DLC they came out with for the game and the game? Yeah. Well, then it doesn't matter. They came out with this other thing. I mean, it's not as close, but I still think that lawsuits are so interesting in the way that they come through. I think that there's grounds for someone to actually come through and do this. I don't know that it'll ever happen, and I think it's stupid to do anyway, yeah. honestly. But I think it is, it's a lesson that Sony's going to have to take in of that only on PlayStation tagline was a strong marketing tool for them. And they should be very careful about using it now. Yeah, I agree. It would be really interesting if we start seeing only on PlayStation on some games and not others. What if we see only on PlayStation on God of War 2, but we don't see it on Horizon 2? You wouldn't see that because they're either going to stop it or they're going to keep doing it. Because if they if they only put on slight games and you'd be able to say like, oh, well, Bloodborne 2 doesn't have it on there. That's what I'm saying, though. What if that starts to become the indicator of whether they have plans to bring it to PC? They're not going to do that, though, because then they want all those day one sales they can get. So they want to make you think that you can't play it on PC in two years. Exactly. It's kind of like that console, ex- uh, uh, what is it? Console exclusive. It's like, well, no, you can still buy it on PC. Worldwide exclusive. Or, oh, it'll still come over to PlayStation a year later. See, that advertising is a big problem within gaming in terms of if you want to get granular about it. Yeah. It's stupid. Uh, last thing we're going to finish up on is two things. Last minute state of play announcement that happened this week brought us a stream full of updates on previously announced games as well as new ones. New gameplay from Solar Ash, Returnal, and a deep dive into that Knockout City game. 
excuse me, that was originally announced during the Nintendo Direct uh, came and went. We got to see uh, the announcement of a new game from, I was correct, by the way, it is the Absolver Studio. Yeah. Uh, Slow Clap is what they're called, and their next game is called Sifu. And it's, I don't want to get too much into it. Go check it out if it looks interesting to you. If you've played Absolver at all, you could definitely see the vibes in here, but there's some other stuff. It looks like there may be a mechanic to where every time you die, you age. And, and and Absolver so cool. Absolver is super cool. Uh, but we got to see that. We got to see uh, gameplay from Oddworld Soulstorm, as well as learning that it's releasing on April 6th, with the PS5 version being free to PS Plus subscribers. New Kena gameplay. We got to see that, Kena and the Bridge of Spirits. Uh, it's coming on August 24th, so that delay was pretty lengthy in the long run. But... On top of that, we also got confirmed that the game will be digital only, unfortunately, but with a great price of thirty nine ninety nine. So it's a mixed bag, but I'll tell you this: Kena looks phenomenal. It does. Kena, whatever it is, I think it's Kena, but I'm gonna <laughs> whatever. It looks really good, and I think it's a great price. One of the things I was talking about a lot lately is price changes on things. So one of the things that happened this past week as well is the price for Destruction All Stars dropping from seventy for non-plus users to $20, which is more of an adequate price to what you get from that game. And I'm not saying that game's not good. It's just the problem for a lot of people was, I don't see how this game is $70, which is the same problem we're seeing from Returnal. A lot of people are looking and go, it looks cool. I don't see where $70 comes into play. And you are totally justified for thinking that too. Yeah, and that's the, that's the thing that's going on right now. I think across the board, you just have Sony introducing people to things and then i think that these the hate that the games get is elevated by how much they feel like it's overpriced uh, i think that's why like i said godfall got a lot of hit but anyway we also got to see more death loop gameplay which is coming in may five nights at freddy's security breach gameplay was shown off and they finished off with final fantasy 7 remake coming to ps5 with a free upgrade path more on that in a second for ps4 owners and a new dlc chapter introducing yuffie and vice called intergrade that will be i think controversially so only available on ps5 not controversially so you should have expected that this is this is why people should should expect final fantasy 7 when they announce episodes and how we how long square takes to develop things you should know that if one was coming on ps4 that was probably going to be it Here's my only thing with that is this comes back into this argument. If Days Gone can come to PC, even though it was on PS4, it's supposed to be exclusive, then why the hell can't Intergrade come to PS4? I'm talking about, I thought you were talking about people being mad about Final Fantasy VII. No, no, no. The controversy here is that Intergrade, no, because Intergrade's not part two. No, I know. I I, I know. That's why I I thought you were specifically saying, or I thought you were implying part two. No, the fact that DLC for Seven Remake Part One is only going to be on PS Five. Yeah, that's now that there is is lame. I thought you were talking about part two. Gotcha. Yeah, now I completely expect part two to be on PS Five only. But when you think about it, it's kind of the same thing, right? Well, not really really, because it's like a sequel. Because it's the same game on two systems, but one has DLC and one doesn't for some reason. It'd be like it's not exactly the same, but it'd be like if for some reason. Once uh, Outer Worlds came out, right? It came out on PS4 and it came out on Xbox One and Switch. Let's, but let's say for some reason, once Xbox bought them, the DLC only released on Xbox and not on PS4. 
I mean, technically, if they wanted to, they could. They could, but they know that that's a bad business move. It is a bad and really doesn't call. make any sense. Um, but also, you can do anything you want. Are y'all really surprised about a company that did like six character DLCs for the last Final Fantasy game that all cost twenty dollars a piece at launch? Also, does this Ever really- Crisis looks good, but. How many ways can you find to remake Final Fantasy VII? It looks good. I'm not crapping on it for that. I just thought it was funny that Ever Crisis ends up being just another remake for Final Fantasy VII. Was that Kadage in the in the ending trailer? You know, I for don't. seven for you episode Yuffie. No, was that not was that not like a new version of him and like an alternate timeline perhaps? Are you talking about when they showed Weiss or Vice, whatever you want to call him? I've never heard his actual name talking about be pronounced. One second. If my computer will load, you'll get to see it. Just click on images. Well, you might see it here in this Screen Rant article. You talking about that boy? That's Kadage in that screenshot right there to the right. What are you talking about right here? That's a screen capture from Advent Children. Or is that not? They just look the exact same. No. That's so stupid. Look, I'm telling you, I, I guess you don't remember this. I don't know why it just won't load. Apparently my Wi-Fi is being dumb. That's who you're seeing right here. I don't remember him. Is at all. a new version of of this boy. That is the new version. What is he from? Final Fantasy VII. Oh, he's originally in Final Fantasy VII. His character. I remember him his, now. His yeah. So that's that's who that is. Omega. Yeah. 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 That was in. Um, oh, Dirge of Cerberus. Uh, uh, that's what it is. I'm sorry. I keep saying seven. Yeah. Dirge of Cerberus. Yes, which is coming into Dirge of Cerberus stuff coming into play here. Yeah. But across the board, it's like Ever Crisis 2. It's including compendium stuff. I can't think of what it what was. Um, I hated that game, so I can't think of what that what the Oh, Dirge of Cerberus? Yeah. What was what? The power that Vincent had? Or what? No. What that area with him in there is called. Oh, pff, I don't remember. I haven't played that game in a long time. I did enjoy it, but I've not played that game in... 14 years I played it when it came I still own it I, I played it when I it came out and I got like 80% of the way through it I think and I quit yeah sorry for the confusion there I should have known that was there's a Cerberus it's just when I think of Final Fantasy 7 I really do think of all this crap together yeah to some degree so yeah but bringing him in is going to be one of those things where people are looking at me like what are you doing to the final fantasy 7 timeline but, but that all goes back to what we talked about with we don't know exactly what the timeline is you're not wrong and i think that's what makes this the most interesting thing about it yeah which is so, why i actually i i apologize i didn't apologize but i changed my stance and apologized on um my just my general outlook on this game because at first i'm like 40 hours just to be just to leave midgard that's so freaking stupid but then they surprise us with like oh this ain't the same game it's like a sequel but it's like an alternate reality sequel like okay yeah it's it's very interesting it's almost like a it's more of a reboot than a remake but it's like there's a more to it than that it's like a rebooted sequel prequel single is a pre-sequel, pre-sequel? that's already pre-sequel. been a, that's, that's a borderlands thing, thing yeah. yeah uh PS Plus games for March. This is the last thing, and it ties into this to some degree. Continues Sony's killer lineups with Final Fantasy VII Remake, Farpoint, and Remnant from the Ashes headlining the PS4 games. That's a really good month. It is a very good month. For just PS4 games. And then for PS5, a new puzzle game called Maquette coming in as our PS5 title, um, which looks really cool, by the way. 
I'm a big fan of puzzle games anyway, but I like this game. It's set up to where everything is a, a smaller version of the same thing inside of itself. Yeah. And then you can break out of those bounds and change things by changing something in the bigger version of the world or the smaller version of the world. Go check out the trailer if you haven't. There's just cool examples to where apparently Tabby's in here. I just saw that. <laughs> is that um, the game like where it's like it has like a pink palace? Uh, yeah, it's like a dome in the middle, and yeah. you can go into the dome, and you'll see that in the full-size version of the world that you're in, there's a block, uh, there's something blocking the middle way. Come here, Tabby. Oh, my goodness. Ooh. It's been a while since we've had Podcast Cat on, so... Well, not if you're here for episode 200. If you're watching, here she is, Podcast Kitty. Tabby, she's very old. She's like 14. I love her. Anyway, uh, yeah, Maquette shows that little dome, and you see a red block blocking this pathway. But if you walk inside of the dome, you see a smaller version of the dome with a smaller version of the red block. You can pick it up and move it. I saw that in the store. Dude, it looks so good. Do you remember Do you remember? I was like, we were going through a, uh, we were sitting there talking about it. I'm like, oh, this is a puzzle game. I was like, oh, but it's one where you control the level? Yeah. That's it. I was yeah. like, I don't like these games. Oh, I love this idea. I don't like these games. This looks really cool. I love the idea, too, of being able to... You can drop the key and make a uh, make like a little ramp for you to go out into the bigger version where you're tiny, and then you can walk and find so cracks in the walls. So can you control a character? Oh, you do control a character. Okay. Yes. The, way, the way that looks is that it looks like it's like... Um, it's like first person, but it's one of those first person games where you don't see your hands. That's fine. Yeah, like I don't care about that. I, I thought it was like where you the entire camera view is the side of the level and you were like controlling aspects of the levels to make like a Rube Goldberg style puzzle machine. Oh, no. Okay, I don't yeah, like no. that. I don't like puzzle you, games like You that. control a person and it tells a story throughout this. Okay, now that's actually kind of cool. It's like The Witness. Yes, it looks really good and I love that idea. I just thought it was so cool to see you being able to break out and then you get into a huge version where like you're like a little ant and you can just go and find cracks and whatnot. Uh, but I got her yeah, that's a solid month. But the some of the controversy, and I don't think that this is really controversial. Final Fantasy VII remake. If you get it from the PS Plus, uh, you know, redeeming, you cannot use that version to upgrade to the PS5 version. So the system looks and sees how you obtain that license, and if you can tell that you have a PS Plus license. You don't get to use that to upgrade to PS5. Some people consider this to be unfair. My personal opinion on this is that this makes total sense. There's no reason for them to give you a game for PS5 when there's going to be a lot of people, definitely as we saw with those numbers, who are new to PS5, didn't have a PS4, or have been waiting to play this game on PS5 because they wanted the enhanced version. There's no reason for them to give it away and then be like, oh, by the way, you can do it free. Now, there are other games where it's, I'm uh, I'm confused as to whether that's going to happen that way. One of those examples is Greedfall. Greedfall mm-hmm. was given as a PS Plus title, and it has a PS5 version announced. And right now it's unclear if you got it from PS Plus if you still get the free upgrade. I'm ready for that upgrade. Yeah, so it, point being is that it's something that you may have to come into part with. I think some of the complaints here comes from the expectations set from, set from Xbox in which you just get the newer version of the game for free if you own the old, other one, but I don't really know if that's impacted Games with Gold yet. Has yeah. there been a game on Games with Gold? And i got to argue for a second, Games with Gold lately, definitely in comparison to what PS Plus has been doing lately, has not been... Super strong. There's no to reason it. to be though, because Games Pass exists. Yeah. So with that said, I that may, that problem may never end up coming up because they're not giving brand new games. You know, I'm going to tell you right now. There was a thing earlier this week where an Xbox podcast host said, "If you haven't played Final Fantasy VII Remake, uh, hold off because it's coming to PS Plus." And it screamed to me, unsubstantiated claim. Yeah. From somebody, and here's the thing: at the end of the day. He ended up being right. Later in the week, we found out 
here it is. But whether or not that was a lucky guess, lucky guess, he had real information. The thing is, is that the reason it sounded so crazy and substantiated is that as well as Sony's been doing with PS5, Final Fantasy VII Remake being so new, so well-sold, and so well-reviewed, and then, of course, going to have a PS5 coming, it's crazy to think that they do that. But it makes way more sense to, oh, we'll do that because you don't get the PS5 version if you do this. Suddenly, it all comes together in a way that makes sense. Right. But, all right, Saul, what do you want the uh, PED uh, community stake to be? Bioware. So, for those fans are not a Bioware, with, with all the distress they've been going through lately in terms of the media... And their choices with their studios. What is something that they could do to bring you back to Graces if you're falling from Graces? And if you're not, what is something you just want to see them do? Um, do you want to see a, you know, you want to see them return to a Baldur's Gate? Yeah, uh, Kotor, something like that. Uh, let us know, and you could do so over there on Twitter at Triangle SQRD. You can find us that on Facebook. Cat in the camera as a uh, as you can find us on Facebook at a uh, Triangle Square at a PlayStation Podcast. It's a group that you could ask to join, and we'll let you in. You can find us, of course, on YouTube at the link you found us at when you came across us. That's just uh, youtubecom nartech. I don't know what their hyperlink is. Search for Triangle Square Podcast. You'll find us. You'll find us across all podcast services across the world, and most importantly, you'll find us on patreon.com slash nartech where you can help support the show buy us cool little goodies that we need from time to time like those lavalier mics we used for episode 200 live stream and yeah and if you want to make us do sexy game poses in front of consoles and stuff which i can tell from the way it was saul doesn't really want to do get us up to 500 dollars a month and you will saul will be doing things i don't want to do that he doesn't want to but uh also, also if you want to support the show yeah, I was going to say, check yeah. out manscaped.com, like we said earlier, where you can use discount code SQRD to save you 20% off and get your free shipping across Manscaped products. Yeah, go and to the pubs without the pubes for St. Patty's Day. Yes. Guys. You know what I mean? Yes. Oh, my goodness, Tabby. She is, like, aggressively wanting pets right now. I'm she telling does. you, she does. But with that, we're going to give our uh, Patreons a shout-out. Thank you all for uh, being here for episode 202, and we'll see you all for episode 203. Thank you, guys. Head over to patreon.com slash nartech if you want to support us. Like Kyle Grimm has, Josh Jarrell, throw in the two new ones since I've been lazy and not upgraded this picture. We have Rob from Warp Point Podcast. Go check him out. We also have Josh Drago, who kept his end of the promise from the turkey spaghetti. We also have Matthew Green. My name is Dan, Luke Bartolomeo, Sean Santarud, Funk Turkey, Danny Villobos, Corey Hickerson, Blake Popes, Kevin Bacon Bits, Mark Schutz, Eric McAllister, Shadowist, Stephen Salazar, The Stonard, Rich, Constantly Kenny, Solitary Red, Chris Figs, Zachary Sawyer, Landis, Rude Days 93, Brian, Donovan Williams, William Digital Spooker, Derek Porter, Josh Ayers, Joshua Lago, Sean One Neo, Tyler Powers, El Chabib, Jason Clendenning, and Richard Shaver. Thank you guys so much.